Hey, horror guys and gals, and welcome back to the We Love Horror podcast, the podcast where we talk about everything and anything horror. I am Michael, and today I am joined by my very dear friend, Chuck from Chuck Goes to the Movies. How the hell are you today, buddy? I am doing fantastic. I'm actually doing pretty well considering I've been running since three o'clock this morning, so. Oof, yeah. <laughs> you just got home from work, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yes, and you and you were just telling me oh, you 15 like... minutes ago, you know, throwing my uniform off and then literally just throwing on the first shirt and like pair of shorts I could find so I could <laughs> make sure I was ready for this. Hey, you look pretty sharp to me. So, oh, well, thank you. You're welcome. Um, do you want to take a second to uh, plug in your podcast? Tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. So uh, like you said, I am Chuck from uh, Chuck Goes to the Movies. We talk about uh, movies that impact our lives or influence our love of other movies in any way, shape or form. Uh, I'm joined by different guests on every episode and uh, we just it's a plethora of uh, different movies that we get to talk about. And it's a lot of fun. And uh, you can find me on all the major podcast platforms. And then if you want to follow me on social media, I highly recommend looking me up at Instagram and Twitter because Facebook sucks. Oh, it does. Yeah. Who uses Facebook anymore anyway? <laughs> I was trying, but it locked me out of my darn account. Uh, so, you know, I can't get back into it. And I'm just like, whatever. You know what? F- you know, stupid <laughs> Facebook. Mark Zuckerberg can suck it. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I know he owns Instagram, but still. But Instagram's the better platform anyway. It always has Agreed. been. Um, but uh, yeah, thank you for plugging in your podcast. Uh, I have to say that I love your podcast, Chuck. Um, I love that you don't only just have like a specific genre of films you talk about. You talk about all kinds of films, which at the same time kind of makes me jealous because yeah, I love talking about horror films. Don't get me wrong. Like I have a horror podcast. I talk about horror films, but there's so many other films that aren't horror related that I watch that I'm just like, God, I wish I could get on a podcast and talk about this stuff. Like, uh, there's so many movies that I'm just like, I know it's not horror related, but I want to talk about them so bad. But, you know, so I I, I envy the fact that you have like a, <laughs> a multifaceted type of uh, podcast. Well, you know, that's the that's the beauty of movies. Uh, you know, yes, we've got movies divided into their specific genres and things like that. Horror, comedy, action, romance. Uh, period pieces I have a special place in my heart for period pieces but you know you can talk about horror but you know what I love about horror is that horror is one of those very interesting uh, genres where you know it it splits off into so many different facets you know you've got your slasher you've got your thriller you got your psychological uh, everything like that but you know horror can sit there and it can run through other genres of uh, movies as well comedy Mm-hmm. action all that fun stuff a sci-fi horror sci-fi is that one little niche of horror that i am <laughs> absolutely in love with um so you know that that's the beauty of even just talking about horror you're not defining yourself to a very narrow idea here it it is so broad it expands on so many different levels and you can take it in so many different directions so horror is just a it's a wonderful genre it really is it it's it's so much fun i i love talking about horror movies um (laughs) there's just times when there's movies you know such as like titanic that i would just love to spend four (laughs) or five hours you know talking about on this podcast but i'm like it's not horror related so i can't i literally had to find any excuse that i could to talk about uh the titanic in my titanic episode and i was like you know what i'll kind of make it creepy 
<laughs> no. So I'll do like, you know, creepy coincidences or something like that. I was like, there we go. Now, now I can uh, at least talk about something else I love. That's, well, uh, while the movie Titanic may not be exactly a horror film in itself, um, unless you unless you uh, find Leonardo DiCaprio's acting <laughs> extremely horrific, um, which I do. Uh, but uh, <laughs> so the horrific nature of his acting doesn't qualify it as a horror movie. But I mean, the story itself is very horrific. It, it's sad yeah. on many levels, but it's also horrific because it could have been prevented. And the people responsible for making sure that they were still steaming uh, full speed ahead and all yeah. those unnecessary engines and stuff like that. They're basically murderers. So this makes it a horror story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry um, to any Titanic survivors who may be listening out there. I'm just saying. Oh, no. I um, Actually, the last Titanic survivor died a few years ago. So well, there are no more damn. Titanic survivors. I know it's kind of sad. Um, well, well, then family of. Survivors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm really excited to have you on today, Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been on for five minutes and we've already been on how many tangents? This is going to be a fun episode. Hey, I love it. I love tangents. You know me. I get on so many freaking tangents when I do podcasts. Oh, you know That's me. why my episodes are always three hours long. So <laughs> exactly. You know, I thought about renaming the show Chuck and his tangents, not Chuck goes to the movies. <laughs> Tuck and t- uh, Chuck and his three hour long tangents. Right. <laughs> love it, though. Um, but this is not the first time you've been on the show, actually. So uh, we actually tried recording an episode back in, what was that, October, September? October, uh, September of last year, yeah. Yeah, because we, we did um, Hell House, uh, Hell House oh, LLC, yes. But then, unfortunately, in October, my computer decided to take a crap on me and uh, decided to stop working. So all of the stuff that I had on my computer, because they had to literally uh, wipe my hard drive. Um, I had it, I got an external hard drive that I put everything on, but some of the stuff just couldn't be salvaged. So that episode that we did, unfortunately, was never aired. So that is a future episode for you and I to do at some point, um, because I would still love to talk about it all the time. (laughs) Yeah, it's such a good movie. I'd love to talk about it with you at some point. But uh, yeah, so welcome back to the show, Chuck. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Hopefully this time, you know we won't have an episode that doesn't get aired. So Knocking on the wood right now. <laughs> yep. Oh man. But um, what have you been up to lately? What have you been watching? Anything, anything new, anything exciting? Uh, I have been watching a crap ton. It is absolutely amazing how much I've been trying to get caught up on. Uh, let's see. Um, so aside from watching the strangers, <laughs> I have, uh, I've been watching, uh, I watched a, uh, that, really awful Nicolas Cage movie, uh, Willy's Wonderland. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, mm. I'm not into it either. Yeah. No. Oh my I was, I also was not into Mandy either. A lot of people oh. liked Mandy and I was like, I'm not a fan of it. See, I, I still need to sit down and give Mandy a try. Um, I, I believe, uh, Mark and Brooke were the ones, uh, who were trying to talk it up to me. Mm. I just, uh, after sitting down and watching Willy's Wonderland, I'm just like, I have no desire to sit down and watch any Nick Cage movie probably for the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, but uh, so besides, uh, aside from watching that, I've uh, I've been rewatching a lot of movies. Uh, I haven't really been watching anything new, which is, you know, shame on me. But uh, people, uh, so people from my show have been picking some absolute classics and I'm just like, oh, hell yeah, I can't wait to rewatch these. You know, My Cousin Vinny, um, 
we are uh, about to sit down and talk wedding crashers and uh, uh, my brother and I are about to go into an Avengers dive. So, you know, having to sit down and rewatch those and, you know, I'm never going to complain about rewatching any of those. Um, but then I've also been uh, sitting down also and rewatching some classics not associated with any recordings that I'm doing. I've uh, Gone with the Wind. Uh, an oh, there we go. Fabulous movie. I mm-hmm. love that. Um, Jane Austen, uh, not Jane Austen. <laughs> uh, Pride and Prejudice from 2005. Mm-hmm. So the Kieran Knightley version, you know, I sat down and rewatched that and I forgot how wonderful it is. So uh, that's what I've been watching. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, stick into the classics there, Chuck. I like it. Uh, for me, my interests are everywhere. <laughs> for me, I've been, uh, I've actually haven't watched much horror related stuff. I watched one horror related, actually two horror related films. If you count the one we're talking about today. Uh, but, uh, I, wa- I started watching this show on Netflix called The Circle. It's the stupid like reality TV show. Oh yeah. yeah. Brooke, uh, Brooke uh, told me that he had been watching it. He said it was pretty good. So I started watching it. And I was like, it's all right. Like I got through the first episode and I'm like, eh. I mean, I'm, I'm a sucker for reality t- TV. I really am. Like, I think it's trashy, but at the same time, I love putting it on sometimes just to have something on in the background or, or when I'm feeling, you know, down or bad about myself, I put something on and I'm like, you know what? My <laughs> life is not as, as <laughs> not as bad as these people's so there we go at least there's that i get you 100 percent on that anytime <laughs> i'm feeling bad about my life i throw on shameless and after watching a couple episodes of that my life is just beautiful compared to what's happening on that show so, exactly <laughs> exactly um i also watched alex in venice that's on amazon prime i don't know if you've heard of it mm-hmm. um it stars one of my favorites, uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. So it's more of an independent film and it's not a horror film. It's um, like a drama. So it's about a woman who her husband leaves her. And so she basically is trying to go through the motions of picking up the pieces and still trying to, you know, juggle her job and her personal life. And she has a kid on top of it. So it's, it's a really good film. Like it's a really good, like, I don't want to say coming of age film, but it's like a film about her like finding herself type of thing so fantastic i recommend it it's a really good film um ghosts of the abyss which is a titanic film uh also directed by james cameron i think it came out in what oh one is one the year that that came out something like that yeah yeah i hadn't watched it yeah i haven't watched it in years but lately since my titanic episode i've been kind of on on a titanic kick so (laughs) (laughs) i watched that yesterday with my roommate uh he had never seen it and uh, so that was fun for both of us. Uh, Lake Mungo is the only other horror film I've watched this week. And that's an Australian film. I've seen it a few times. I actually mentioned it in the episode that I did with Daniel from the Creepy Crap podcast uh, when we did our top 10, you know, favorite horror films from Australian horror films. And he did his uh, favorite U.S. horror films. That was on my list of favorite Australian films. I wouldn't really say it's much of a horror film though. Like there's some creepy elements. Like there's one part in the film that made me so freaked out that I had to turn my lights on in my house, (laughs) but it's not at the core of it. It's not much of a horror film. It's actually more sad than anything. But other than that, I'm going to get off my soapbox now. Uh, (laughs) That's, that's really what I've been watching this week aside from what we're talking about today. Um, So Chuck, are you ready to get into the we love horror three question horror round? I am as ready as I am going to be for this. All righty, buddy. So since you are the guest of honor today, you get to go first. So hit me with your first question. All right. So I tried to pick some questions that I thought might stump you here, but you know, you being a horror fan, I'm 
pretty uh, confident you're going to uh, surprise me here. So my first question is, what was the name, the serial killer name given to Freddy Krueger's character before he became oh. Freddy Krueger? Shit. So he he operated as a serial killer and uh-huh. he was a known serial killer. What was his name? Um, you know how the shit. news likes to give people names. Uh-huh. I think it's the Springwood Slasher. You are correct. Oh my gosh. That was that, that was, was literally just like a because I was like, it's either the Springwood Slasher or it's the um the Elm Street something. I was thinking Elm Street because I was like, no, but that can't be right. That's like a, yeah. that would be like a trick question. So I was like, no, it has to be. Oh, thank God. <laughs> that so, was yeah, honestly yeah, just a guess. I was thinking Springfield for some reason before I actually uh, looked up the answer and I was like, oh, well, I was close. I was yeah, close. that was a, that was a good one. You almost got me with that one. <laughs> I wasn't, com- that, uh, that answer was not completely 100% confident either. I was like, I'm just going to go with it. Well, you managed to pull it out, so kudos to you. So for the first question for you, Chuck, is I've got three scenarios for you. So this is kind of like a three-part question. So I have three scenarios for you that you can choose from. So the first scenario is zombie apocalypse, home invasion, or demonic possession. Okay. The second part of the question is what would you do to prepare for either one of those scenarios that you choose? And then the last question is, would you survive? Would you ultimately survive the scenario of your choosing? Okay. So, uh, God, I don't like any of those. <laughs> um, I'm going to choose home invasion, you know, in the spirit okay. of our discussion today. Mm-hmm. Uh, what am I going to do to prepare for the home invasion? I'm going to watch a lot of home alone and then uh, <laughs> maybe sprinkle in a little, uh, uh, the Purge and The Strangers and things like that. Uh, but uh, no, uh, I've seen enough of these home invasion movies that like, I feel confident that I could come up with a pretty decent plan to defend myself or defend my home. Um, I give myself an 87% survivability right here. So there we go. I'm obviously not going to say that I can be 100% protect against uh, a home invasion here. I, I don't know how smart these home invaders are or anything like that. Maybe they're doing the same research I am. Who knows? <laughs> uh, but uh, I, like I said, I've seen enough movies. And I actually, believe it or not, kind of think about these types of things uh, in my head every once in a while. Like, what would I do in this scenario? What would I do in this scenario? And that, that's one of the scenarios that I've actually kind of played through in my head before. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, my goal is uh, to protect my family, protect my home. And then, you know, my life is, you know, the, the third most important thing on that list. So that's why I give myself an 87% probability rate, because if I have to sacrifice myself for the sake of others living, then guess what? I guess I, I, I'll do that. There you go. Good answer. Good answer. I like that answer. So there is a horror movie that was made. And it involved an actor who did not actually know he was filming for a horror movie. What is that movie? Uh, is it The Shining? How did Mother Effer? Because Danny Torrance, the kid that plays Danny, yep. uh, he didn't know that it was an actual horror movie because uh, Stanley Kubrick 
told him that it was uh i don't remember what family Stan- drama there we go yeah and um, that, uh, stanley kubrick cut a version of the film just for the actor to the kid to see and so it wouldn't he wouldn't see all the scary stuff <laughs> yep yep wow look at you <laughs> you know pat on the back pat on the back i don't know i like i just have these questions you're asking i just happen to like know for some reason like the shining is one of my favorite movies so that one i think was like something i just already knew i was like yep that one shocked me. So, I mean, like when I, when I came across that, I was like, I didn't even know that, that little bit of trivia. So that's, um, so question number two. So this is going to kind of make, <laughs> it's going to kind of make you, uh, sound like a psychopath here, but I've had to answer this question before on a couple of other podcasts. So if you, you know, for example, like hypothetically, if you were, you know, a killer in a home invasion film, what what would you do to ensure that nobody would survive? Well, first off, I don't need a question to prove that I'm a psychopath. <laughs> I'm I'm there. Um, <laughs> ugh. What would I do to ensure that nobody survived? Mm-hmm. Like what, what steps would you take? I guess this is kind of the same question as if you were, you know, preparing for a home invasion or like defending yourself against a home invasion. I guess it's the opposite of that question. Like if you were the home invader, what steps would you take to ensure that there were no survivors? You would have to, you would have to reverse, you would have to break down everything. So hopefully being a home invader, you have Uh, at least a decent knowledge of what's happening inside the home uh, as far as any possible escape routes, uh, things like that. Um, Obviously you're going to cover all the major areas to ensure that, uh, you know, somebody can't go climbing out a window or things like that, setting up a kind of any kind of booby traps there or something, Mm -hmm. anything. Um, Ultimately, I guess if I had to pick a way to ensure there was no survivors is um, I would have the fail-safe plan of the entire house burning to the ground. Oh, there you go. That's a good one. Yep. Good uh, Good way to make sure that nobody gets out alive. So that's yeah. a smart one. Yeah, yeah. there you go. <laughs> um, um, all right. Well, then my last one. My last one's actually going to be a trick question. Oh, shit. I hope okay. you're ready for this one. Which film features a woman being decapitated in a car? Hmm. Well, it's not hereditary because did you say woman? Because Charlie is not a woman. She's technically a girl. So that's very true. <laughs> so is that where the trick question comes in? That's um, where the trick question comes in. So then what movie am I referring to? Urban legend. You know what? <gasps> Was I right? You're right. Woo! See, oh. I thought I got you on that one. Oh my goodness. Because <laughs> my immediate thing, you know, before really my brain registered girl, woman, girl, woman, was mm-hmm. like, oh, f- hereditary. Yeah, yeah. Damn, Anthony, I'm coming for your gig. Yeah. Anthony right? from Porcelain Peak, you better watch out. You got someone else that's <laughs> pretty good at horror trivia too there. And then my third and final question, Chuck, is just this is like the horror staple in this question by now. If you were trapped on a desert island, Chuck, <laughs> and you could only take five films with you, horror-related films, oh, okay, horror. what would those films be? 
horror related films um do franchises count as one or yeah count as yeah multiple films no no a franchise can count okay well the entire scream franchise okay would go with me um I would have to say my other choice would be um, Event Horizon, which is quite possibly my favorite sci-fi horror film of all time. Better than Alien, huh? Better than Alien, and that's a that's a tough decision right there. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. I said Scream. I said Event Horizon. Uh, Hereditary would have to go with me. That's uh, a good one. That movie just blows my mind. Uh, I know I talked about it on my episode when we talked hereditary. It's like for about a month afterwards, I thought about it every single day. It's just that it stuck with me for so long. Yeah. Um, the strangers, uh, I, as cliche as that's going to sound because we're talking <laughs> about this movie, but there's a reason this movie still scares the shit out of me every time we watch it. Yeah. Um, and that's a sign of a good horror film. Let's see. I've, I'm on four there. What else would I take? This is your fifth one, right? This is your final yeah, one. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I would want to take Friday the Thirteenth, not the entire franchise, mm-hmm. the original Friday the Thirteenth. So I'm even talking about okay. Jason. Like you're talking pre like once J yeah, 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 yeah. Once Jason came into it, to me it stopped being horror. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, that first movie scared scared me. It really did. So I love that movie. I uh, that's if I think about watching Friday the thirteenth, I usually will start with that one and I'll make it like two <laughs> movies after that and then stop because I'm just like, Okay, this is getting ridiculous. Yeah, um, I think after like the first few films it just starts getting way out of gets way out of whack and it's just kind of like i think the first three films are a good trilogy like if it would have stayed as a trilogy the first three films i think are pretty solid um and then i i I also prefer i also really like the remake as well i know that's probably unpopular opinion amongst a lot of people but i i enjoyed the uh, remake jared pedal or whatever Mm -hmm. his name is the remake really wasn't that bad quite honestly i really felt like it actually did something to add to it a little bit Mm -hmm. like jason ran at one point he started running and i'm just like wow the serial killer or the you know big killer is finally running after somebody it's a little bit more realistic instead of (laughs) you know these people running and you know he's walking 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 all of a sudden he catches up to all of them Mm -hmm. yeah so unrealistic so i really liked uh it had some good aspects to it but other than that um not exactly a top-notch oh no definitely not there's definitely better remakes out there this would probably be bottom tier compared to other remakes that i've seen but i mean it's still a decent film um Mm -hmm. i think that like you said i think the remake really showcases jason's abilities to the fullest Uh, it really played into that myth and lore a little bit more Mm -hmm. um yeah, I guess you can't even really call it a remake either. It's more like a soft reboot. Reboot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. See, and I've argued that... He's already an established lore. Everybody mm-hmm. knows who Jason is, and they've all heard the stories. Yeah. So, okay, yeah, yeah. it's more so, of a reboot. Well, and see, and if I've, I've argued that too, because I don't personally really think it's a remake. I think it's kind of um, a reimagining as well, because it's like, if it was a remake, you know, if it was a remake of the original 
Pamela Voorhees would be the killer again, and we would be doing that whole thing. So it's not technically a remake. It it like the events of the first movie kind of happen at the beginning, and then it does its own story. So yeah, to me, it's not a remake. But you know, people argue that all the time. Yeah, it <laughs> but is what uh, it is. So, you know, everything you know, movies are subjective. They're art. So mm-hmm. it's in the eye of the beholder. If you want to view it as a remake, view it as a remake. If you want to view it as a reboot, view it as a reboot. If you want to view it as the best movie ever made, I want three of whatever you're taking yep yep exactly um but yeah thank you for thank you for participating in a three three question horror round chuck ah no thank you and i really hope the fbi agent listening to this enjoyed our answers on the psychopath thing (laughs) they're tapping into our phone lines right now they're like they're probably on their way to arrest you right now chuck nah they haven't gotten me for anything else i said they're not going to get me for that that's true all right. So without further ado, Chuck, I know you're just like probably chomping at the bit to start talking <laughs> about this film. Um, do you want to tell the listeners what film we are talking about today? Well, we are talking about a wonderful little film from 2008 called The Strangers. This was a sleeper movie. Like I honestly, mm-hmm. I honestly don't think it gets enough credit. It really doesn't. It is a fantastic horror film insight into what would happen if you're out in the middle of nowhere and nobody can help you Mm -hmm. nobody can help you and that that's the scariest thing about this i'll I'll get into more my feelings on that at the appropriate time of the episode but (laughs) that is that's what makes this movie so brilliant Mm -hmm. it's such a simple concept executed beautifully it leaves you it like seriously the first time you watch this did you ever anticipate that ending the the ending we ended up seeing there are actually multiple endings to this movie no i didn't um it was it was it was definitely unpredictable the first time i watched it for mm-hmm. sure like you know uh my boy Glenn Howerton there, you know, when he shows up at the house and stuff like that, his mm-hmm. death, uh, his death scene, uh, excuse the pun, blew me away. You know, I just could not, I, I couldn't believe that what the, the stuff they were doing and the things they were uh, achieving with this mm-hmm. again, with such a simple idea. Yeah. Well, kudos to um, our writer and director here, Brian uh, Bertino. Yes. Yes. He's, he, he did a fantastic job with this film. I do. And we'll get into this later when we get into like the full fledged discussion, but I do have issues with this film. I think it's, I do think, I do agree with everything you just said. I do think for the home invasion type of concept, which wasn't a new concept at the time, there had been other movies that had come out before then. um, And even after that, you know, there's so many home invasion films. So what I like that this one did was that it kind of, you know, and Brian Bertino even talks about it when he talked about like the making of the film, he talks about how he wanted to create a house that was like something that you or your brother could live in or your family could live in, like more of a house that's realistic, not like this huge ass mansion that a lot of these, you know, home invasion uh, films take place in. It was more of a house that you and I would live in or, you know, just someone normal would live in. And I think that's what makes it scarier is that it's like a normal setting that you're familiar with. And then uh, you- I mean, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. I was just going to say, and then you throw in these like, you know, masked intruders that come in and it just makes it 10 times scarier. I, that's a, that's exactly it right there. I could literally place myself into this scenario 
Mm-hmm. And it, it felt so real for me. And it, it, the reason it feels so real for me on many levels is that uh, I lived in a house in the middle of nowhere and never once in my life thought that anything like this could ever happen. You know, yeah. I didn't go to sleep at night worrying that something could happen to our family and nobody would find us for days or anything like that. But it wasn't until this movie. And that's what makes this movie scary for me is the fact that I lived this. Well, yeah, I didn't live this scenario, <laughs> but I lived in a situation that could have been like this. I lived in the middle of nowhere, Texas. Yeah. 50 miles outside of San Antonio in this little town called Centerpoint. It was like a one night town. And then I lived outside of that, out in this, like in the hills and the woods and stuff like that. My nearest neighbor is down the road. Mm. If something happened to us, nobody would know until like my brother and I didn't show up for school for a few days. And they'll be yeah. like, oh, where are they at? And someone would finally come by the house and check on us and probably find us all strewn about Ugh. intestines hanging from the ceiling fans <laughs> and everything. Yeah. It's just in that that's the scary factor of this whole movie for me. And every mm-hmm. time I watch it, that's all I think of. I'm, I'm that. How old was I when we moved out of this house? I was 10 years old. So from the time that I was like four to the time I was 10, we lived in this house. And now that's all I can think of is that mm-hmm. this could have happened at any time. Obviously it didn't. I'm here. But yeah. This could have happened at any time, and that just scares the ever-living shit out of me. Yeah, and that's the that's the scary thing also about this film that you kind of touched on is, you know, it's being in the wrong place at the wrong time. It's like, this could... It, it's scary to think how close each and every one of us could have been to a scenario like this, but mm-hmm. just because we were in a different place at a different time, it didn't happen. But you hear stories like this all the time of break-ins and murders. And it's like, that could have been me or that could have been my family and my friends. And it's just like it, it, when you put that into perspective, how many times you don't think about, you know, how many near death situations you could have been put in. And then you, you think about that. You're like, that is kind of a scary thought. Like I could have been one house away from being a victim of a, like a robbery or a home invasion or a murder. Like, it's crazy. So. Yeah, I mean, and that and that's why the home invasion uh, subgenre of horror mm-hmm. is very effective in uh, scaring scaring the crap out of people, the strangers. Funny games. I mean, yeah, I think about that every time we go to like an Airbnb or something like that. I'm just <laughs> like, are some whacked out kids just going to show up with golf clubs and start beating the shit out of me? I have no idea. Um, what a, a last house on the left that's not really a home invasion film i'll kind of give it slight credit to that yeah. they're not invading the home purposefully but wow. it kind of takes place in the home and that's mm-hmm. the that and that and that's the scary factor home is supposed to be safe yep. home is supposed to be wholesome home is supposed to be where you leave your worries at the door and you don't have a care in the world exactly these movies ruin that for you. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah. And I, I remember the first time I watched this, I didn't get the pleasure of watching it in a theater. I don't know why, because I was old enough at the time that I could have gone and seen it with like an adult. I mean, obviously I was still in high school when this film came out. I think I was a sophomore in high school. If I'm not mistaken, I think I was a sophomore in high school when this film came out or still a freshman, but I never got to see it in the theater. And I actually didn't watch it until a couple of years later for some reason. I don't know why. Don't ask me why I didn't watch it right away when it first came out. I I don't know, but I watched it and I, like you, kind of lived kind of 
at the time that I watched this film, I kind of lived in the middle of nowhere too. Like I had houses like right next door to me and stuff, but it was in a really isolated place. And I remember watching this film and it terrified me. It scared the shit out of me the first time I watched it. And I was home alone, of course, when I watched this the first time too. And so I'm like, oh my God, it just freaked me out. Like there's just so many moments in this film that are so iconic and like so different from any other home invasion film that I've ever seen with the way that they do certain things. And that's what makes it terrifying is that it sets itself apart from other horror film or other home invasion films and does something, puts a little twist on things. Absolutely. And it's a shame you never got to see it in theaters. I, you know, as many movies as I've seen in theaters throughout the years, there are a few that just all those experiences stick with me. And this is mm-hmm. one of those experiences. I was, I was living in Nor- uh, Norfolk, Virginia at the time I was a uh, station there and I went and saw it with my friends, Kitty and Josh. Uh, and yeah, just blew my <laughs> mind. Uh, scare again, scaring the crap out of me. We were house sitting for a friend. So we had to go back to this house um not in the middle of nowhere granted but still you know once you get home and you know you're locking every door mm-hmm. you're making sure every window is bolted down turning on every light like in the house <laughs> yeah exactly this is one of those movies that i actually you know will turn on a like not a nightlight but like my side table lamp or something like that after watching it and be okay this has got to stay on for a little bit it's mm-hmm. it's an irrational thing but in my mind it's not not that irrational yeah um and that's why you and I would survive a horror movie because <laughs> we we think about all the irrational things that most people don't think about because they're like, yeah. oh, that could never happen to me. But you okay. and I, we're prepared. We're like, oh, no, that can definitely happen because I've seen it happen in horror films and in real life. So I'm not going to let that happen. Exactly. You know, horror films teach us something. Somebody out there has thought of this. That's exactly what horror films teach us. And if somebody mm-hmm. thought of it for the sake of a movie... There's nothing saying somebody couldn't think of it for the sake of actually committing it. Oh, yeah. So, you know, yeah, somebody, you know, we'll dig dig into it a little bit more. This is very, very loosely based off an experience that the director writer had as a child uh, that kind of grew, you know, and he expanded that experience, obviously, in this movie. But, you know, it's not impossible that someone you could be sitting at home someday and someone could knock on your door. Yep. You can answer it. And it seems so, it seems so innocent. They're asking if somebody's there and like, Oh no, this person doesn't live here or no, that person's not here or anything like that. Oh, okay. Thank you. What is to stop somebody from doing that to you Yeah, and turning it into a home invasion scenario? Yeah. It's just stopping them. Nope. Nope. That's, that's the terrifying thing. And that's why, that's why I love this movie, but there's, <laughs> there's also things like I stated at the beginning, there's things that I think um, could have been done better, but we'll get into that in a minute. But mm-hmm. I do want to uh, bring up some facts real quick before we get into the full discussion. So uh, the strangers came out in 2008, the IMDB score that I found online is a 6.2 out of 10, which is pretty good. I'd say that's a pretty good rating for, I don't, I don't feel like a lot of home invasion films or a lot of horror films in general, like get very high ratings most of the time. Horror is not very much loved on unless it's like more mainstream or something like that. Mm -hmm. So for for a film like this to get a 6.2, I I would say that's pretty good in my book. But, Mm -hmm. um, and then the synopsis is a young couple's evening becomes a nightmare when they are terrorized by three masked assailants. 
Uh, and it was written and directed by Brian Bertino. And he's also known for The Strangers, obviously. Uh, Mockingbird, which came out in 2014, which I don't think he had really done a whole lot in between The Strangers and Mockingbird. At least not director wise, at least not directing rise. Because um, Mockingbird was the next film he directed. Uh, and then he directed The Monster in 2016 and The Dark in the Wicked in 2020. And he also wrote The Strangers Pray at Night, which came out in 2018, 10 years after the original Strangers. Um, I know. I, I have the same thoughts, <laughs> what too. What a horrible follow-up. <laughs> I have the same thoughts, too. I remember going and seeing that movie. And I actually did see the second Strangers in theaters. And I remember walking out and I was like, it wasn't that bad. Like, I was like, it wasn't that bad. And my friend was like, that was the worst movie I've ever seen. That was the worst horror movie I've ever seen. What a disrespect to the original Strangers. Because he he's a huge Strangers fan, too. Like, he, like you, mm. saw that movie in theaters. He loved it. Uh, it's one of his favorite films. So like he was not very happy with what they did with the sequel. So because it's essentially not to get too far off topic here, it's essentially watching two different types of films. Mm -hmm. You know, the first one is the home invasion. The second one slightly touches on that, but it's it's a completely different style of film. It's a completely different um, just feeling when you mm -hmm. watch it you're not getting that feeling of dread you're not getting that anxiety of no. anything anymore um i don't know maybe it's because uh because we watched the strangers already so now we're already attuned to who these three individuals are and stuff like that so now they're not as scary or anything like that yeah it just did not sit uh sit right with me uh quite honestly yeah yeah and i don't know like it just, I don't know. And the, 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 whoever directed it tried to throw in so much eighties flair and it's like, okay, this is not stranger things. This is the strangers. <laughs> Pray at night. Like even, even like the opening title was like stranger things. And I was just like, what is this? Like, I was like, why, why are we, I don't know. It's just some movies, some movies work with the eighties aesthetic. Other movies don't. And I feel like this movie tried way too fucking hard to be an eighties film like right down to what the character of Kinsey was wearing. She's wearing a fucking Ramon shirt. And it's just like, okay, this is too much, <laughs> too much, too much 80s shit that you're throwing in my face. Like I, I get it. You like the eighties, you know? Yeah, exactly. But um, <clears throat> well, and the thing about Brian Bertino is I think he's a fantastic director, but the thing that I've noticed with a lot of his films is that, and see, I've never seen the monster. The monster is the only one out of his, uh, directorial filmography that I haven't seen, but I've seen The Dark and the Wicked and I've seen Mockingbird. And from what I remember from both of those films, like uh, Dark and the Wicked being the most, uh, you know, obvious, uh, what's the word? Recent film, that's the yeah, word. Yeah. The most recent film that I watched was Dark and the Wicked. Uh, and there's just something I like, I think his writing and his directing starts out really, really strong. And then towards the end of his films, he doesn't, it feels like he doesn't really know where he wants to take it. And like the ending of the film kind of just, kind of just, I don't know, goes, goes haywire for me. <laughs> the Dark and the Wicked like was a, was a good film for me, but I think towards the end, I was kind of like, okay, yeah, I don't know. But anyway, that's another soapbox for another day, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it stars Liv Tyler as Kristen McKay, and she's known for a lot of stuff. So she's in The Strangers, Armageddon, uh, The Lord of the Rings trilogy, Jersey Girl, uh, The Incredible Hulk, Ad Astra, and 9-11 Lone Star. She's in 10 episodes of that, and that's a 2020 show, I believe. Um, she's in a lot of other stuff, but this is just the stuff that I know her personally from that I've seen. 
Um, and I have to tell you, when it, when I first watched this movie, I was obsessed with Liv Tyler. Like I was so obsessed with Liv Tyler. <laughs> Just something about her. I think her acting is fantastic in this film. She's also really, really freaking gorgeous. I don't know. Uh, don't listen to my Lord of the Rings episodes. Oh no. <laughs> oh no, I've heard them. <laughs> I've, I've heard them. You uh, <laughs> not a not a big uh, Liv Tyler fan, are you? No, not really. I mean, there are certain things that I like her in. Um, I liked her in Armageddon, just mm-hmm. fine, and uh, stuff like that. I just, to me, she she again, she's just not one of those people that hits me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the right way and i also find it to be very distracting how much she looks like her father so uh <laughs> yeah she does kind of look like her dad doesn't she yeah she does but i mean you know more power to uh, to the people that do like her and stuff like that i mean that's that's great you know that's the beauty of it we don't have to like everybody right true that yeah um scott speedman who plays james hoyt he's in the strangers uh underworld and underworld evolution triple x state of the union good neighbors the vow uh he's also in the monster which uh brian bertina also direct wrote and directed as well and then i didn't know this but he's in in 10 episodes of you who does he play because i don't remember seeing him in that film or in that show i have actually not seen that show Oh, okay. You got to watch it. It's so good. The first, the first season I think is better than the second season, but they're both really good in their own right. So, uh, but uh, yeah, I didn't, when I saw that, I was like, who is he in that show? Because I've never seen him <laughs> or I don't remember seeing him at least. I don't know. Um, Glenn Howerton, the strangers, uh, he's in crank and crank high voltage, five episodes of Fargo, 13 episodes of the Mindy project, uh, he's also in The Hunt from 2020, which I don't remember seeing him in that movie either. But uh, and then it was most very no- short lived. Yeah. Uh, most notably, he's known for 150, ep- 154 episodes of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. That's where pretty much everyone knows, knows him from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> uh, Gemma Ward, who plays Dollface. She's in The Strangers. She's also in The uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. I cannot talk today, Chuck. Do you ever have this issue? <laughs> oh, all the time. <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right. She's in the Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tide, on Stranger's Tides from 2011. And she's in the Great Gatsby from 2013. She's also a model, which is something I already knew about her beforehand. And she's freaking gorgeous. I don't know if you've seen pictures of her on the internet. Or I guess yes. you've probably seen her in Pirates of the Caribbean. And oh, I mean, yeah, yeah, I've seen her in movies. But she is, like, yeah. she is stunning. She's so freaking pretty. Um, Kit Meeks as the man in the mask. And the only thing I only have him in a couple of things: The Strangers and Glory Road. Uh, and Laura Margolis as the pinup girl. And she, the only thing I wrote her down for was The Strangers because I had no idea what else she was in. She wasn't in a whole lot. <laughs> um, but uh, this film was made on a nine million dollar budget. Uh, the opening weekend was $20 million, which is pretty good. Uh, mm-hmm. The U.S. gross was $52.6 million, and the worldwide gross was $82.4 million. So for a film made on such a small budget, that's a huge fucking return. That is. That's a lot of money for a $9 million film. Um, and uh, then I have some fun facts, which I'm sure people that know The Strangers pretty well know these facts. So I tried to find facts that people hadn't heard before. Um, mm-hmm. except for the first one. Uh, so according direct to director Brian Bertino, the film is partially based on an incident he experienced as a child 
One evening, a stranger came to his door, asked for someone who was not there and left. Later, Bertino found out that the other homes in his neighborhood had been broken into that night, uh, which is fucking scary. Yeah. It's really creepy. Because it's like, I guess he said whoever didn't answer the door, they would break into the house and like steal stuff, which I'm just like, mm-hmm. ugh. Which is like these, <clears throat> which is the exact opposite of what I do because after this film, like I'm already paranoid to answer the door as it is. Like if I don't expect somebody coming to my house, I don't answer the door. Like, oh, period. Man. Like Even it if doesn't I'm matter. Expecting what... somebody, I don't answer the door. It's no, like it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter like the time of day. It doesn't matter if it's the middle of the day, if it's the middle of the night. I don't answer my door unless I know someone's coming to get me or somebody coming to get me. Someone's coming to visit me. Um, I never answer the door. So. Uh. I, I absolutely hate it. I'm one of those people like I'll hear the doorbell ring or I'll hear somebody knock. I immediately, if I'm watching TV, I hit mute. I'm just like, I, I stay still. <laughs> I don't want anybody to know that I'm home. Mm-hmm. Nothing like that because, you know, as much as I love people, I, I just don't stay away. Yeah. Like, why are you coming and knocking on my door? <laughs> yeah. And like, most times, why are you like, bothering me on my yeah. time off here? You know, I don't want to talk to anybody. I've talked to people all day long between my <laughs> podcast and between uh, work. You know, I don't want to talk to you outside my door. Right. And then most often than not, it's like the missionaries or it's, you know, <laughs> someone coming to sell something. And it's like, uh, both of those scenarios sounds not so fun. So <laughs> I am very lucky in that regard because, uh, here in my neighborhood we actually have a very very strict and enforced no solicitation policy so people cannot just come knocking on our door to try to sell something then Hmm. you know no offense to jehovah's witnesses or anything like that y'all can't come knocking on my door to you know tell me about the good news i've heard the good news thank you um (laughs) but uh yeah so i'm very (laughs) thankful for that so if anybody's knocking on my door it's usually somebody trying to deliver a UPS package, which Mm -hmm. is leave it at my door. I'll get it when I'm ready. Or um, it's one of my nosy neighbors who wants to talk to me about something. And I'm just like, nope don't want to talk to you yeah they're like hey chuck um i saw that light on in your uh house you didn't see anything (laughs) they're like i saw that light on in your house um it was it was on like all night is everything okay and you're like yes i just stayed up all night what's it oh my god no my favorite is i have this one neighbor she's not going to listen to this so i can talk about her she (laughs) stares out her window all the time so i took my dog out for a walk and my dog pooped I forgot to grab a bag before I left the house. So I walked away to go grab a bag out of my house. Oh, Jesus. I literally walked through my door and my neighbor's calling me. She's like, I'm heading over right now to give you a bag to pick up that poop you left behind. Hmm. Bitch, I'm about to go get it. Jesus. I'm about to go. Why don't you get a life and stop staring at my way? And don't come to my house. Seriously, what a stalker. Don't come to my house. Yeah, I love it. She's like, I'm going to come right over um, and give you that bag of poop or nope. that bag that you didn't get the poop with. <laughs> oh, Jesus. My final act as the HOA president of my neighborhood <laughs> is I had a poop station installed along the sidewalk just near her house just to make her happy. There you go. There you go. <laughs> just to passive aggressively be like, here, bitch. Now you don't yep. need to call me about my fucking dog again jesus yeah we've had our share of nosy neighbors so that's always fun um but uh yeah this one was kind of interesting that i found uh that i had never known before so many theaters across the united states 
many theaters across the United States were sent faulty reels of the movie containing sound problems, which made a few minutes to several scenes of the movie filled with nothing but static. Most audiences did not realize the sound was a problem since the dark overtone and loud background music in some scenes make the static seem part of the movie. Which, yeah, I mean, I can see that. See, I was when uh, I was trying to rack my brain to see if I, I even remembered that. And I honestly don't remember that. So I must have been in one of those theaters that didn't get a faulty reel. So. <laughs> yeah, you're like, I didn't. And if, if I mean, if you did, you maybe I guess you just didn't realize it. Um, the exterior shots of the house were filmed at a real farmhouse. The filmmakers were surprised to discover the property had a barn, garage, a forest and a long enough road. So that would be awesome. That would be like the perfect thing to like as a location scout, like picturing the the setting of this film and just being like, hey, it's got everything you need. We don't even need to add anything like everything uh, that's in the exterior of the house wasn't added. So that's kind of cool. No, that was a perfect, um, perfect place, uh, perfect scenario. I mm -hmm. honestly didn't know that. I just assumed like everything they had built sets and all that fun stuff. Yeah. Well, the interiors of the house were built on a soundstage, but like anything oh, yeah. that you see when they're outside is like actually on location, which is kind of cool. Mm -hmm. So I, I found that really interesting. Um, and it's uh, a nice house too. I'd live there. Oh, same. Yeah. I mean, I think it needs some, you know, modernizing because that's not the kind of house I would live in. Like, that's just more, I don't know. I'm more like modern. Like I like glass. I like wood. So I would probably live in that house that most home invasion films take place in well, <laughs> the big fancy, like wooden glass house, like on a, when yeah. a stranger calls, that would probably be like my kind of house. But, um, <laughs> this film is arguably based on the 1981 Ketty resort murders in Northern California. Although this has not been substantiated by anyone connected with the film and the writer claiming it is based on a childhood experience, which, it's also I've also heard that it's based on the Manson murders as well. Like it's also yeah, so I've, that I've heard a little bit about that as well. Um, and I can actually see that connection, you know, the way uh, a lot of similarities there with the way that uh, they showed up at Sharon Tate's house and everything like that. They're just kind of mm -hmm. let themselves in uh, Cut the phone line, terrorize them. And it's not and it wasn't just about killing them. It was about the terrorizing of these people. They were tortured. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so same thing here. So you see a lot of similarities there. And I'm sure Brian uh, pulled from a lot of uh, things that happened in history and so these horrific ideas um, mm -hmm. and events that happened in history. Because again, he's only got this small little one little thing to build off of. And but you when you combine that real life experience with other things that happen throughout life, you have what ends up being a good story. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yep. Um so Liv Tyler's father is Aerosmith frontman Steven Tyler. Before making it big with Aerosmith, a teenage Steven Tyler was in another band, which was originally called The Strangers. So fascinatingly enough, mm -hmm. I knew that. Yeah. Uh, the I'm a huge Aerosmith fan. <laughs> yeah, same. Um, and this is this is another fact that I didn't realize until um I read this and I actually paid attention on most recent watch and was like, okay, yeah, I get that. So the houses shown during the opening credits each resemble a famous house from various classic horror films, such as a nightmare in Elm street, Halloween and the Amityville horror. And yeah, when I went and watched that scene, I was like, Oh yeah, like I can totally see that. And I didn't realize that that was something I never realized that they were paying homage to, you know, subtly paying homage by showing all these houses that kind of resemble houses from the 
uh, from those films, mm-hmm. which I thought was kind of cool. Um, and then the last fact that I have here was the blonde doll face first makes an appearance asking if Tamara was home. Gemma Ward, who plays this character, also played in Pirates of the Caribbean, Caribbean Stranger Tides as Tamara, which is kind of cool. Very interesting. What a horrible Pirates of the Caribbean movie, by the way. I've never seen it. I've never been a huge Pirates of the Caribbean fan. I don't know. I know that there are movies that I need to watch at some point in my lifetime, but I just, I don't know. I think I've seen like the a handful of them. And I don't even think I've seen them in order. I think I've seen the first one and I think I've seen the last one. So I don't know. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Same with the... I can make a suggestion here. Mm-hmm. Um, rewatch the first one because the first one is just great. Yeah. But you got to see Dead Man's Chest. That is by far the best Pirates of the Caribbean movie they have ever made. It's funny it's action-packed it's got drama it's got everything you need in it it's it's perfect i saw that movie three times within the first 24 hours that it was out in theaters damn yeah that's how much i loved it yeah yeah (laughs) i mean i've talked about going and seeing movies like six times in the theater but like never in a 24-hour period so that's that's impressive what'd you do did you just like watch it and then go get another ticket and then go back in and watch it again and then (laughs) so what i did is you know i went to the you know, the midnight showing of it mm-hmm. with my friend Aaron. We went and saw it, and then I fell in love with it so much. I went home, fell asleep, went home, uh, went back later in the afternoon to go watch it by myself, and then I dragged my parents to go watch it <laughs> that night. It was a lot of fun. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I'll definitely take your recommendation then. I will definitely watch it because if it's, I, I trust your taste in films. Obviously, you have a film podcast. I love all the films that you talk about. So, I am going to take your recommendation at the highest level, sir. Well, I hope I don't disappoint. <laughs> you won't. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, those are like those are like the last things that I, you know, fun facts, trivia type stuff with the film. Is there anything else that you wanted to bring up that I might have missed? Uh, no. Oh, no, actually, I'm good. Cool. All right. So I uh, guess without further ado, we can get into the actual film discussion. So, Yay. yeah, um, I like how this film starts out because it starts out with, you know, a narrator and he's narrating uh, this thing. He talks about how the FBI estimates like there's 1.4 million violent crimes in America each year. And then he kind of briefly touches on, you know, what happened. And they t- they kind of take the whole true story, uh, you know, based on a true story aspect with this whole thing. So I think when this film first came out, a lot of people were convinced that this was based on actual events. Uh, like the characters of Kristen McKay and James Hoyt were based on real people. And I, um, back in the day, I think they even had a, a fake website set up for the victims. Like there was like a fake website that you could, cause I've seen it before. It was like a memoriam thing that you could like leave. And people actually believed that the, they were actual based on real characters. So I thought that was kind of funny. You got to kind of also take into account that is great viral marketing. Mm-hmm. to sit oh, there yeah. and tell people that you know this is based off of true events things like that that is the best way to generate interest uh in a movie that could potentially not be successful and the movie i'm going to really think of here is blair witch project oh for sure blair, yeah yeah that movie came out when i was in middle i think it was in middle school 99 so uh, what? All right, I was in middle school. So <laughs> that movie came out when I was in middle school. And like, we were all convinced, all, me and all my friends, we were convinced that the Blair Witch was a real thing. Uh, mm-hmm. and there was a whole website dedicated to it again. Uh, and we were all told it was based off of true events. And they even tell you that in the movie and things like that. 
I guarantee you had the filmmakers, film students, yeah, not started that viral marketing, that movie would not have been as no. popular or profitable as it was. I mean, it went on to be, if you really want to sit there and talk about it, the mo- one of the most profitable movies ever made. Oh, yeah. On such a small budget and then what it got in returns. Uh, those percentages are just astounding, rivaling uh, these big temples that happen nowadays because you yeah. got to think about the money that goes into making those versus what they're pulling in now. So you need that. It's just a great piece of viral marketing that's been very popular throughout the entire horror, fran- uh, horror franchise. <laughs> um, see, I do it too. And I'm oh, not good. even drinking. Um, <laughs> my smoothie. Uh, there's nothing in my smoothie. Um, but, uh, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre did the mm-hmm. same exact thing. And it is loosely based off of events. And that's where people have got to remember. Just because it's a, a movie says it's based off of true events doesn't mean that those events themselves actually happened. Yeah. Great job creating an entire website convincing us that, uh, you know, those people were real and something actually happened to them. But, you know, it, it's more just loosely based yeah. off of these events. You know, uh, not a horror film. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Quentin Tarantino's latest oh, disaster. Good. Oh, I liked it. Oh, I could not get behind it. <laughs> the best part of the movie was the ending. <laughs> that was it for me. Yeah. But I mean, uh, but I mean that, that's it. That's what drove a lot of it. Honestly, that's what drove me to see it, besides the fact that I love Quentin Tarantino. So it actually mm-hmm. kills me that I say I don't like this movie. I yeah. love Quentin Tarantino. And, but that's what drove me to see this movie is because I wanted to see his take on the whole Sharon Tate Manson murders, you know, yeah. another little callback to that. Uh, but loosely based on that, because obviously there was a different, I'm not going to spoil the movie for different everybody. Outcome. Yeah, there was a different outcome than what we were expecting there. So uh, just it's it's very useful technique to tell people that something is based off of a true story. Yeah. Uh, whether that is like a hundred percent the truth or only 25% of the truth. You know? Exactly. Yes, this was based off of something that happened in real life to our writer director. He just happened to expand on it a little bit more. <laughs> what you're seeing is his imagination. Yep. Expanding that real life event. Exactly. Yep. Um, but I do, I do enjoy how this, uh, film opens up because it opens up with you know they're passing all these houses you know potential houses that they could be scouting out because i i i judge this scene as it being like the perspective of the killers that are driving they're they're driving by all these houses they're they're scoping out which house would be the best ideal house to break into and they just happen to come across the one that you know Kristen and james stay at because it's out in the middle of fucking nowhere like there's no houses like for miles and um I like how it starts with a 911 call because you hear like the kids over the, you know, 911 call and it kind of shows shots that you're going to see later on in the film. And I kind of like it when movies do that because it kind of starts out with like, oh shit, like this did not end well. So then you're kind of pulled in. You want to see what happens to these people. You're like, okay, I have to see what happens now because that does not look, that doesn't look good. Like there's blood all over the walls. There's, you know, they see a bloody knife. There's a gun on the counter um there's like all this stuff you don't actually see any of the victims but you see the aftermath and i think that i think that's like a really powerful opening scene i like the way that they started it out yeah you know it's that draw you know gets you in get you interested like well now what what led to these events very very memento like you know mm-hmm. give us the ending and then give us the events that led us there exactly yep and i like i also really like this opening scene too because 
I feel like Brian Bertino kind of started this film off with a different tone than you're used to seeing with these kind of movies. Like I feel like with, with, with films, they start out really happy and really like, Ooh, like, you know, Oh, we're going to a summer camp. Yay. Woo. Oh, we're, um, you know, having a big old party with a bunch of friends. Yay. Or we're going to this vacation house. Oh, it's going to be fun. Like this film starts off miserable and it ends miserable. Like there is no happy moment in this film at all. Like there's no happy, there's nothing happy about this film. Like it starts off just absolutely miserable and you get the characters of James and Kristen. They're sitting in a car waiting, you know, waiting at a stoplight. And then you can tell immediately that the mood in the car is not good. (laughs) Yeah. It's building the tension right then and there. And while the tension isn't exactly the horror tension that we're expecting, it's enough to already put us on edge. Like why are they on edge? Why are they not talking to each other? Why do they seem like neither of them want to be there, but they are, they're obviously there. Yeah. You know, and then as again as the story progresses you start to learn what happened and things like that it all begins to make sense uh and which makes it even more tragic when the actual horror starts happening yeah yeah um and i i like that i just like the different approach that he took with this instead of starting it off like Mm happy-go-lucky and then you know descending into like the horror part like he starts off just like right away with just this tension between them so it makes us as the audience like uncomfortable because we're sitting there like ooh, i don't like the like it's almost like we're sitting in the car with them and we're like i don't like the vibes that (laughs) that they're giving off from each other like i'm not you know it, it automatically puts you in this place where you're just automatically uncomfortable for the rest of the film and it doesn't go away after that like and i love that i love that he immediately puts us into this like feeling of just uncomfort like discomfort the entire for the rest of the movie plunge into despair mm-hmm. to where you think it really can't get any worse yep and yep. then he's going to show you that it can get worse uh you know some other movies that use that tactic midsummer midsummer uh, let me say yes. it correctly midsummer <laughs> um even hereditary kind of took that tactic a little mm-hmm. bit um uh, so Ari Aster, you know good job you know you've got you've got that nailed down there uh but yeah it's it's that whole idea just you've got to create that um you got to you got to invoke all these emotions so when it's actually time to introduce the horror you're in such an emotional state it seems a lot more horrific than it probably actually is yeah you know before the actual killing of anybody in this film it's all torture it is yep. nothing but torture. So you've already taken two souls that are torturing each other. Yeah. And now they're being tortured by an outside source. It's 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 depressing. You, it's you very need, depressing. You need a Zoloft after this. <laughs> yeah. I need to take my Zoloft after watching this movie because it just, yeah. It's just, But I, I like that. I like that he plays on a more realistic approach to this whole thing instead of making it like so like, Ooh, everyone's happy. Everyone's having a good time. And then all of a sudden this happens. Like, I feel like it's much more realistic to paint a scenario like this, but I like how when they get to the house um, and he doesn't, he doesn't automatically, I like how he kind of just, it's like almost kind of like a trail of breadcrumbs type thing. So they get to the house. You can tell obviously right off the bat, there's something wrong with them, but you don't know what, because he doesn't explain it yet. And then they get in the house. Oh, and I, this film is, this film was made on a pretty small budget compared to what it made back but some of the shots in this film, I just really love 
like there's so many cool shots in this film. Like there's that shot where um, James opens the door and he walks in and you see Kristen standing behind him and she's like smoking a cigarette on the porch. I don't know why I like that shot so much, but there's something about that shot that I really like because you can see like the street behind her and you can see like the rows of lights going. It's just a really, like the way it's lit, the way it's shot. I really like the way this film looks aesthetically. Think of, when you think of these shots, you need to put yourself into a perspective of the home invader here. I mm-hmm. actually thought about this during the last time I rewatched this movie is so, that shot you're talking about where he opens the door, you see Liv Tyler, you see everything in the background. Think of what would you see if you were opening that door for two people coming into your home? You're going to see that. You're going to see James. You're going to see Liv Tyler standing there with her cigarette in her mouth. Mm-hmm. You're going to see everything that's happening behind them. Same thing with the different vantage points that we see throughout the entire film when you're inside the house. Yeah. It's not all the time, but when you're inside the house, think about where the camera is and how you're looking at them and stuff like that. Yep. From these vantage points of like, I could be standing in that corner watching all this unfold right now. Yeah. I could be sitting in that chair in the living room watching all this unfold right now. You mm-hmm. know, and th- it, it's very specific perspectives that it's putting you in it's putting you in that realistic thing like you are not sitting in a theater or you're not sitting on your couch watching this happen you're in this house yeah watching this happen and it's very it's a very unique perspective oh for sure and i'm glad you i'm glad you touched on that because i actually um i slightly noticed that as well like just with some of the shots that they film it looks like they film sometimes it looks like they're filming through something mm-hmm. um you know like a window or a or a shelf or something. And it, it's almost like someone standing on the other side of that shelf or someone standing on the other side of that window. And it's, it's just really cool the way they do that. And I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, I completely spaced bringing that up. I was like, <laughs> I was going to bring it up in the discussion when I started talking about the shots, but I'm glad you brought that up. But I like when they get in the house, you start to see the scenario play out. Like he had laid, you know, rose petals all over the couch and on the table and he's got candles set up and, um, Obviously, I think in our mind at that point, we realized, oh, shit, it was supposed to be like he was surprising her, like he was proposing to her and she Mm -hmm. said no. So then you're like, oh, gosh, like this is awkward because you can tell, you know, as soon as you see that, that's kind of the gist that I got from it. Either either they broke up or they were supposed to get engaged. And that was, you know, his surprise to her. And then she goes in the room. And, you know, there's rose petals all over the bed. There's rose petals in the tub. And he even tells her, he's like, I wasn't sure if the rose petals go in first or after. Um, <laughs> and so he basically, and and the thing about this whole thing is I like that, you know, yeah, he's upset, but he's still, this is the part of James that I like because we'll get into his character a little bit, bit later, but I like you, you know, you said you weren't a huge fan of Liv Tyler. I'm not a huge fan of Scott Speedman in this film. He drives me absolutely fucking nuts. And I actually hate his character in this film at the beginning. He's fine. But the, the, the more the film progresses and I'll explain why later he just drives me crazy. Um, But uh, he, he, he's still like really nice to her. Like he helps undress, like he helps unzip the back of her dress. Cause she's wearing like this hideous dress. I don't know why that was a thing. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I just focus on that dress when I watch this movie too. And I'm like, Oh, that's an ugly ass dress. 
anyway um, you know i'm sitting here racking my brain i honestly don't remember what the dress looks like it's like some foofy shit like it looks like she's like like the top part is like foofy and and then it's like she's got i don't know it's just a long dress and it's not cute i don't know i don't know if it's a bridesmaid's dress or just a dress that she was wearing for the reception or whatever but it's not cute um (laughs) um, but anyway after he leaves uh he is talking on the phone with his friend like he's leaving his friend mike a message and he's basically telling him how things didn't work out the way that he thought they would and that he needs him to come pick him up in the morning and that she's he's gonna let her take the car back um and then you get like that shot of her like starting the tub and like the water just looks disgusting did you notice how gross the water looks um no, but quite honestly, that probably goes down to like, you know, welcome to the middle of nowhere. They're probably on well water or something like that. Yeah. It's always got a, like a little tinge to it. Yeah. Some like rust or something. It just, it looks gross, but like, she's like, she's uh, putting her th- hand through the water and it's like brown. The water that's coming out of the tub is, or the faucet is brown. And I'm just like, what? I would not be bathing in that. Mm-mm, no way. <laughs> um, and then this is when you kind of get that scene of the flashback. Uh, Cause she's sitting in the tub. And then it flashes back to the wedding reception. And then you see like the whole, he comes up to her, he takes her outside and then he proposes to her. And then you kind of get just, just the gist based off her reaction, how that went. And then it goes back to their, uh, to their home. And I kind of, I just like how he sets this whole scene up because it's just like, like I said before, he doesn't point things out to you. He lets you kind of just put the pieces together yourself. You know, it's got to be a puzzle. It's got to be a little bit of a puzzle to uh, create that mystery and stuff like that. So you're you're trying to unravel here, but your mind also has to focus over here a little bit to what's happening in the present. So you're worried about the past. You're worried about the present. Yeah. But also that other little small part of you is like, I know what movie I'm sitting in. Mm hmm something's going to happen so now you're anticipating what's happening in the future and yeah. it's a it's a very busy film oh for it sure keeps you busy throughout the whole time there's really not a moment to sit there and say i'm bored quite mm-hmm. honestly uh because if if you're bored you're not paying attention or you're not thinking right at least the first time you watch it sure you can watch it several times and already know what's going to happen and realize uh this part's a little slow for me but i mean even still it's there's a necessary thing there's a necessary yeah. flow going on here mm-hmm. and i i feel like um this film has a pretty good flow mm-hmm. um uh aside from like one scene that we'll get into later i feel like this film flows pretty well there's one scene that i tend to i don't know just kind of not not i don't like it as much i don't hate it but it's to me it kind of just drags for a minute um but anyway yeah so they she comes out, he's sitting at the table, he's eating ice cream, which when I was younger, I used to think he was eating butter. Like it looked like a tub of butter. And I was like, Hey, why the fuck is he eating like a spoonful of butter? But obviously it's ice cream. Um, and, uh, she comes and sits down next to him and she's, you know, she's trying to apologize to him and, you know, he's giving her the ring back. He's like, um, I can't keep it. I can't take it back. And he's like, just, just keep it. And, you know, she's just explaining, like, she's like, I'm not ready. You know, I don't feel ready to, to take this next step, you know, and you don't really know how long they've been dating, but you get the gist that maybe they've been dating for more than maybe one or two years. It seems like they've been dating for quite a while mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, she's just not ready for it. And so he gets up and he, you know, turns on the record player and he's listening to 
the sad song and she comes up behind him and then they start <laughs> goes from like being really sad to you know all of a sudden just like having sex with each other because <laughs> 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 they just like start they're having like breakup sex or something and uh it's a thing yeah yeah I don't, i've never experienced it but i know it's probably a thing uh but um yeah they're so they're going at it they're about to you know and then the worst you know boner killer of all a knock on the door interrupts them in mid in mid uh sexual <laughs> activity and uh this is when you get like the first um introduction to dollface which is what she's called mm-hmm. um and i i love her character i think she's terrifying i think she's really like i think a lot of people feel like the man in the mask is a lot scarier i think she's scarier it's her calm nature and it's it's the voice yeah because she's like it's sweet (laughs) it's i'm not gonna say innocent sounding but it's sweet sounding it's very soft natured Mm -hmm. and but at the same time it's it's very creepy and she's and you know strategically taking out that porch light yeah you know unscrewing it i think she unscrewed it yeah yeah she unscrewed Um, it you know, doing that so her face is darkened and things like that. So it adds all these creepy elements to it, and that, and what makes it even scarier is the fact that it just it sounds it sounds like a child is at the door. Yeah, because she's like, "Is Tamara here?" It just sounds so creepy, like just the way she, she the way she delivers it. And I think that's a not getting too much off topic here, but I think that's one of the biggest things that I hated about the Strangers Pray at Night is that the girl sounded nothing like her in the first one. They could have used the same voice. Like, even if it wasn't the same actress, why didn't they just use the same voice? Because, like, it does not sound like her in the second one at all. And that just, I don't know, just a little random nitpicky thing that I hated about the second movie. But <laughs> we'll yeah, move on. From, nitpicks. Yeah, we'll move on from there, though. Um, But, uh, yeah, so he answers the door and she's standing there and, I like how you said about the porch light thing, because you notice that when Kristen's standing out there, you notice that the porch light is on. Mm-hmm. And so that's your first indication that something's not right, because then even, you know, James tries to flip it on and it won't turn on. So you're like, okay, something's not right here. And I like how you can kind of see her face a little bit, but not really. Like you kind of get a, the gist of kind of what she looks like. And uh, she basically asks, you know, if Tamara's home and James is like, no. And she's like, you sure? And he's like, yeah. And, and then she's like staring at Liv Tyler for an uncomfortable amount of time. It's like three seconds that she's just sitting there staring at her. And then she's like, see you later. And then she just walks off. And uh, then they go back in the house because they're like, that was kind of weird. And he's like, should I go after her? And she's like, well, she seemed okay. I think she would have said if she wasn't. And so they just go back in the house. And then this is the scene where um, I think this is the scene where it just fucking takes off and doesn't stop after this. Cause this is a scene where Kristen she's out of cigarettes. They're sitting there and James offers to go get her more. And so he leaves Well, first he lights her a fire. And then he tells her that um, he called Mike to tell him about, you know, picking him up in the morning, her taking the car back. And so then he leaves her to go get her more cigarettes. And like, this is, this is like <sighs> this scene. I fucking love this scene. This I, I personally feel like this scene is probably, if not, in my top three favorite scenes of like any home invasion film ever made. Like this is in my top three. Cause just this scene, the way it's the way the tension is built, the way, you know, it's just so creepy and eerie. Um, but I want to hear your thoughts on this scene because yeah, I, fu- I fucking love this scene. So, I mean, 
I like this scene too. Uh, I, I like this whole uh, thing. You know, he leaves the house. She's yeah. there. She's kind of puttering around. She doesn't know what to do. Uh, and then Dollface, the blonde woman, uh, yeah. returns asking for Tamara again, or to whatever her name is. And, uh, but you know, this time, Kristen decides not to open the door. She's like, oh, you already came by here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, the girl outside is, are you sure? And, uh, well, right around that time, smoke alarm starts going off because the fireplace is blocked. Smoke is coming into the house. Yeah. Uh, you know, she pulls it off, clatters, you know, and then the door knocking again, you know, she, there's so much happening all of a sudden, you know, she's, yeah. she's already dealt with the uh, girl at the door before, you know, she's trying to burn down the house. Now there's somebody back at the door. Um, and she's also hearing noises from all around, like outside. She keeps hearing like the chimes on the back porch, like yeah. moving. And yeah, so know. she's going around. She's locking doors. She's doing the exact thing you would do when you get creeped out at home by yourself. You make sure doors are locked. You make sure windows are shut. Yeah. Um, and you know, and here's the cliche thing: her phone's dead. Of, oh, course, of course, her phone is dead. Yeah. So she plugs in her phone, and you know, she starts to charge it. Um. I think this is also the point where she uh, she changes too. So she gets out of that dress and she mm -hmm. goes into her flannel shirt. Much more practical for a home invasion, by the way. Definitely flannel shirt and jeans. <laughs> um, and as she's standing there, out from the shadows Ooh. emerges the man with the sack on his head. Because it's just like it's a long, it's like a really wide shot of like the whole. Uh, it's like the kitchen and the living room. And uh, she had just gotten off the phone with James because she called James on the house phone and she was telling him like that girl came back and she was starting to get creeped out. And also she uh, when she dropped the the smoke detector, she it fell on the ground and that's where she left it. Mm -hmm. And so she's like chatting with she's chatting with James and, you know, then the line gets disconnected. Yeah. And uh, then then that's when she yeah, she goes to light up another cigarette and then you get that just that shot where she's just standing there and he just comes in in the doorway behind her and it's so fucking creepy because it's because you don't notice it right away but then you like your your eyes are like you know wandering and then you stop on that and you're like oh shit and he's just standing there like just patiently watching her like not doing anything and that's the scary thing about it he's he's not saying anything he's not doing anything and she goes to get like a drink of water and you can still see him in the background and you can tell that she knows that she she feels like she's being watched because she even looks out the window again but it's like, I feel like that's the scary part of it is because she like she never probably thought thinks in her mind that oh my god there's someone actually in the house watching me. Ugh. Yeah, and then it, it starts leading you, the viewer, to question like, well, you know, how long has he been in the damn house? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it goes back to that whole idea of you know, the the perspectives of the camera angles and stuff like that. It makes that even a little creepier. What if at any point? from any of those camera perspectives we were actually seeing it through the eyes of our killer yeah. yeah yeah well and not to mention you actually had you actually made me think of something so in the strangers pray at night um when the family gets there they've already been there for like days mm -hmm. so it makes me question like have they been at this house for more than just that night had they already been there and they'd already like 
Cause it seems like these killers are very familiar with this environment. Like they don't seem like they're, they're killers that are coming to this environment for the first time because they seem like they know their way around. Like the man in the mask gets the ax from the garage, like, or from the barn, you know, they seem to know the layout of the house pretty damn well <laughs> to know that, you know, Oh, we can go in this way. We can go in that way. It just seems like they've been there already. Like they've been scouting out this place and maybe they were waiting for somebody to get there. It could very well be. I mean, uh, it's smart on their part to know the area again, you know, kind of like what I was saying with that uh, question you asked me earlier, at the or at the beginning of the episode, mm-hmm. you know, what would you do to ensure that there are no survivors? Well, obviously you got to put yourself into the shoe of the survivor. What would I do? Where would I go? How would I handle it? And you've got to be prepared for an answer to every single one of those scenarios. And for yeah. the most part, these three masked individuals were, there were a couple surprises thrown at them, mm-hmm. but they managed to recoup and get back on track and stuff like that. And we all know how the story ends at this point. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, they could very well have scouted out the place, but you know, they weren't the only ones who had been in this place before this moment. Mm-hmm. Obviously the character um, of uh James, James had already been there because obviously he wanted to prep the place because he assumed he was yeah. going to be an engaged man coming back to this house. So, yeah. well, and it's his family home too. Like his family owns it because you get that when uh, that scene that we're talking about right now, when Kristen's like walking around the house doing stuff, she walks up to like the wall and you see like on the wall, there's like measurements of like Nate, uh, James, nine years old, James, yeah. you know. So they've obviously lived in this house since like James was a child. So, but, uh, I was more so saying that to the fact of had the three individuals Mm -hmm. been scouting this place out for a while, at what point did they enter the home? At what point did they leave the home? Uh, Things like that with James being going in and out and uh, stuff like that. And then it just goes right back to my original question here. When the masked man reveals himself, well, shows himself, I guess not reveals himself. Yeah. Uh, when he steps out into the light and you see him for the first time, you know good and well that to your knowledge, nobody has entered this house or exited this house. She just went around making sure doors were locked and mm-hmm. windows were shut and stuff like that. How long had he been in there? Yeah. And where was he during this whole time? Yeah, that's that's the that's another terrifying like layer that you add to this film. It's just like how and that's that's why I brought up the question. It's like, how long have they actually been here? Because you know that they're patient enough to, you know, wait like they're obviously patient enough to take all night to torture and, you know, you know, mind fuck these people before they kill them. So, you know, they're damn damn well patient enough to wait to scout something out and wait till people. So they probably you know, in my theory, this is just a theory because it's never been proven. My theory is that maybe they saw James come to the house with Mike. They watched him set up the whole thing in the house and then they waited for them to come back that night. And they did the whole, they did the whole, you know, scenario then. That's just, that's just my opinion. I feel like they, they had been scouting this place out for at least a day or two. And then, you know, they just put their plan into motion once they knew that there were people there. Could, where, could very well be absolutely so, uh, like i said it's just a theory that i have it's not like you know the directors never outwardly said that that's the case but i i i watched the second movie and i think well they were at this trailer park for a while before the family showed up you know they had been eating there because you know 
in the second movie, he finds like the food in the fridge and he's like, oh, this is still fresh. Has someone been living here? So it's like that kind of gave me the idea, like maybe they had been living in this house or not, maybe not living in this house, but just scouting out this location. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, But yeah, I just I love how this scene plays out because then you get you hear the front door shut because Kristen's standing there. And this is like the the turning point for Kristen where she realizes something's wrong, like something's very wrong. And so she grabs a knife from the, you know, from the cupboard and she or from the drawer and she goes around and she's trying to work the phone and she can't get it to work. And then you hear like those knocks on the door again. Mm-hmm. And then this is when Kristen goes to try to call someone on her cell phone and her cell phone's not there anymore. And it's like, oh, shit. And then that's when you hear like all the sounds from the back porch like you hear like it sounds like someone's scraping a chair it sounds to me like someone's like scraping a metal chair against like concrete or something and so she goes up to it and she opens it and like this is probably like the one of the best jump scares in this film because the man in the mask is obviously standing there at the back door and she like backs up and um i love i I think this scene's kind of funny because she is nowhere near that record player when she backs up but somehow she bumps into it and it like (laughs) (laughs) that's the one thing that i've always found funny about that scene is like she's not anywhere near the record player so how the fuck did she make the record player skip i don't know just a little nitpicky thing but i just find that funny whenever i watch it but she you know then you start hearing like all these bangs coming from all different sides of the house and what i find interesting about that is um and you probably know this fact too chuck that the director like when he was directing this film he didn't want Liv tyler to know where where the sounds were coming from so he would tell her to expect a bang from like this part of the house and then he would do it from the exact opposite to get like a more genuine reaction from her so i found that i found that kind of interesting so it's like when she's hearing all these bangings they're probably genuine reactions to not expecting where these are coming from and then you get that one you get that one little scare with the door opening on its own and she goes up to it and then you see the you this is the first time you get to see like what the mask looks like on doll face which i love the masks in this film mm-hmm. like i love them i think they're they're simple but there's something f- fucking terrifying about them i don't know yeah no i mean it's again that whole idea of taking something simplistic to a whole new level uh you know we're, we're, we're talking about a sack over some guy's head with a face drawn on it, uh, a doll uh, mask, a pinup girl mask. These are seemingly un, non-scary things mm-hmm. being used to torture people. Yeah. And yeah, that's that's scary as hell, man. Just like the, the, the simplicity of it is what like is really terrifying. And um, then she's like in the bedroom and Uh, you can still hear the banging but then you hear it like go away and you hear like the front door unlock and open and then the record player stops playing and then you just hear like those heavy footsteps coming down the hallway and then like this is when James comes back and this is kind of when I start to not like James's character very much because granted he wasn't there to witness what she just witnessed but she's trying like she's obviously fucking terrified like she she's so scared that she can barely get her words out and he's sitting there acting like it's not a big deal like he's like calm the like he's basically like calm the fuck down like and anytime she tells him something it's like he doesn't believe her like when she tells him because they're going around the house they're searching the house you know and you see you see that shot of the fireplace and then you see uh that her phone's been put in the fireplace Mm -hmm. and they're going around and she they go they're in the garage and she's telling him how 
uh, one of them came in here and took her phone and he's like, nobody came in here. Like he doesn't believe her. It's like, okay, so where's her phone then? <laughs> she had it. She had her phone one minute. Now she doesn't have it. So, you know, I don't know. Just, just the way his character reacts to certain things. He kind of treats her like she's stupid. And I, I don't know. It bothers me a little bit. Well, you know, you also gotta, you also gotta take into account here. I'm not defending. Um, I'm not defending that type of behavior whatsoever, but it's a very, very, usual or common reaction he's already in a heightened state of his emotions and stuff like mm-hmm. that. just got rejected uh from a proposal and things like that um you know he's trying to escape the situation he's trying to be um you know i guess he, to a point he's trying to be the bigger man because anybody I'm sorry if somebody rejected my fucking proposal, you know, find your own way home, you know, fuck off. But, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, he's trying to do the big thing here. He went out to get her cigarettes. I, you Buy her yeah. damn cigarettes from here on out. I'm not paying another cent for them. So he's, he's coming home. He's still dealing with all these emotions. And here is this hysterical woman telling him stuff that sounds very unbelievable. Oh, unbelievable. yeah. So, you know, Maybe it's just a mixture of this unbelievable story he's being told ver- uh, and the emotions he has towards her. He's holding a, a lot of stuff me, back. A lot of resentment, a lot of anger. And yeah, what she says is stupid in his mind. And yeah. you know, again, it's not excusing his behavior, but that's probably one of probably the most basic human response. Mm-hmm. Uh, that anybody would have towards that and it's not till he realizes you know he's he's about to witness he's about to see the blonde woman yeah you know uh now you know wearing the doll face mask standing in the backyard of the house and then he's going to uh go out to find his car has been vandalized tires slashed things like that and he's going to realize that oh well now she might have actually been telling the truth here and yeah it's not going to excuse this behavior again but i i, I kind of get where the guy is coming from almost yeah i mean like hearing your perspective of it yeah i do agree with that but i guess just me like as a horror junkie and knowing that shit like this happens <laughs> if i'm coming home from regardless of what state of mind i am i'm in and my girlfriend and my boyfriend is telling me oh my God, like I just saw someone outside wearing a mask and they tried to get in here and my phone's missing. Like my automatic response would be like, holy fuck, like I believe you. Like it just doesn't seem like he's all that concerned. And it's like, if you're coming home to seeing somebody that terrified, obviously something's wrong. Like you need to, like, it's, I think it's more so this, the fact that he doesn't take the situation as seriously. And I guess for me, that drives me nuts because as a, as a horror fan, as a paranoid person by nature, I would automatically be like, holy shit, like, well, we need to figure out a game plan, regardless of whether the situation is bigger than it is or not. I guess my my state of mind would be, you know, I would go straight into, you know, protect mode, like, okay, we need to make sure all the doors and windows are locked, we need to make sure we're doing this, we need to make sure we're doing that. And he's just kind of like leisurely walking around the house, like, <laughs> checking doors, going in rooms, ripping open the shower curtain. It's just like, if somebody was in the house at that moment, you'd be fucked. You know, so I, I think that's I think that's one of the biggest reasons why that he drives me crazy in that part is just because it's like, I don't know. But, you know, this is a movie. You've this isn't real life. So, yeah, yeah, that's true. 
I, I feel like the skeptic is an important role in a horror movie. Not imagine if everyone started out believing something horrific was happening, even if they, you know, didn't witness it or anything like that. You have a completely different movie from that yeah. moment forward. So now you've introduced the skeptic, mm-hmm. and he doesn't he doesn't want to believe it, yeah. which makes it. it and it, it, it's obviously hit a nerve for you. It's very frustrating thing to watch. Yeah. Old because you just want to reach for the screen and be like, yo, James, what the fuck are you doing? Smack <laughs> back and forth. Yeah. But, you know, that's, again, that plays into the whole idea that uh, of tension, the uneasiness, everything mm-hmm. about this movie is supposed to leave you on edge. Yeah. And that's just, that's just taking it to a whole new level. You're not, you're not just on edge because you're watching terror happen before your uh, before your eyes. You're on edge because now you need him to see it too. You need him to understand what just happened and yeah. what's going to uh, what's going to happen if he doesn't act quickly. Mm-hmm. So, very it's a very point. important while frustrating part of that story. Yeah, no, that I totally get that. Um, yeah, I think there's like two sides of this perspective that we can see it from, um, for sure. And I, I kind of like that it's polarizing in that aspect because I feel like there's some people that probably watch this movie that get frustrated like I do, but then there's some people that watch it like you and you see it for more of like a, from a different standpoint than I do. Um, but I like that. I like the fact that like we kind of have different, I guess, variations of how we see the scene. Um, but I like how when they're in the garage, uh, they see the girl standing out there and I love these shots. Like these shots look so cool with just like her silhouette standing out here amongst like this long stretch of road with these street lights. You can just see her standing out there. I mean, it's just like, you know, that, that plays that creepy factor. I mean, even now, you know, I'm 34 years old and I'll stare like, if I wake up in the middle of the night, one of the first things I do is I look out the window uh, yeah. of our bedroom. You know, I got the, I got the street lights out there. I've got this pond across the street from the front of my house. Um, you know, a sidewalk that goes across. I I look out there just to make sure nobody's standing out there staring up at my house. You know, yeah. it, it's one of those again irrational things that, in my mind, thanks to all the horror movies I watched, <laughs> I truly believe that there's nothing stopping anybody from standing out there staring at my house, thinking nefarious things about. Yeah. It. So. Uh, and it just gets even creepier when you actually look out a window and boom, there's somebody standing there mm-hmm. staring at you because it's staring like at your house. Right. And it, it begs the question. It's like, I feel like we we constantly sit here in this like state of um, security because we think that like nothing like that can actually happen. But it's like, what if you did look out your window and there is somebody out there? Like, how would you react? Like, I want to tell you, like, I want to say how I feel like I would react in that situation mm-hmm. but then it's like you never know how you would actually react in a situation like this which is why I don't fault this movie for some of the places that it takes it but like yeah. it's still it's still equally as frustrating <laughs> as an audience member to watch certain things that unfold because it's like oh my god why would you do that why would you do that like why would you make that decision but then it's like you have to put yourself in that character or in that like frame of mind you know and all I feel like sometimes all logic goes out the window. It's basically fight or flight at this point. And it's like, you have to make last minute decisions and it's either going to save your life or it's going to get you killed. And it's like, you never know how you're actually going to react in a situation like that. So, you know, mm-hmm. that's like, 
that's the thing I find kind of polarizing about this film as well is just like some of the some of the decisions they make in this film are frustrating as fuck like it (laughs) drives me nuts but then at the same time I try to see it from a different perspective like okay what would I do in that situation how would I actually react and you unless you're in that situation you can't know how you would react so yeah absolutely yeah but I like how I like this next scene because it's I like how tension filled the scene is because he goes outside to get his phone because he left it in the car another you know little cliche oh i left my phone in the car (laughs) and he goes out there and the car is just destroyed it's like demolished like the windows are all shattered the tires are all slashed um and he goes inside and he's like looking around for his phone and then you just see like dollface's hand come up behind him and she this is this is a one part that i'm like there's no way she would have moved that quickly like he wouldn't have been able to see her because she grabbed she touches the back of his neck and he whips around and she's not there and i'm just like that's i mean there's certain things that i'm just like that's not um, that's not realistic but it doesn't doesn't take away from the scene it's just kind of like little nitpicky things um so then he like goes out and he starts hearing like noises like because you can hear him like slamming stuff around and you can hear people running through the uh like the forest and stuff and then he sees her standing at the end of the road and He's like, what the fuck do you want? Like, get the fuck out of here. And that's when Kristen comes back out and she's like, what's going on? And he's like, go back inside. And then when he turns back around, she's not there. She's gone. And so then he goes back in the house and they're sitting at the table and he's like dressing uh, uh, Liv Tyler's wound because her hand's cut because she cut her. I don't know if she cut her hand on the lamp when she was trying to turn the lamp off or if she cut it. I'm pretty sure she cut it on the knife, but I thought the lamp for some reason shattered or something and she like cut herself. No, I think it was the knife. Yeah, so he's like dressing her wound with his tie. Like you see, a, he's wrapping his tie around it, and he's talking about how they're basically out in the middle of nowhere. Like he hasn't heard a dar a dog bark or a car pass or anything like that. And while they're trying to figure out what to do, that's when he sees that his phone is laying on top of the piano. So it's like the man in the mask must have walked in while they were having this conversation at some point and put that phone on the piano, which is just terrifying because like he sees it and then he sees that the battery has been taken out of it um you know it's not the first time something like that happened too don't forget that uh, the fire alarm was picked up off the floor and placed onto the dining room table even though she had dropped it and left it on the floor so oh that- that's right because she had the chair she had the chair set up set up bleh, she had the chair set up by the front door and it was on the chair it was on top of the chair when she went back to it yeah a lot yeah. of psychological, uh, you know, psychological warfare at this point. Oh, for sure. And so this is when they try to make their escape attempt in the car. And so they go out there and they're backing up out of the driveway and then they see another truck pull up behind them. And then this is when you get the first uh, glimpse of the pinup girl because she's sitting behind the wheel of the truck. And so they see her and then the man in the mask is standing in front of their car. And so the pinup girl like just basically rams into him and basically makes their car incapacitated like you cannot go anywhere at this point and so they go back inside and like i said this this film just after that scene with Liv tyler home alone it just takes off and it doesn't stop yeah it just keeps going and so they're trying to figure out what to do and outside you can hear like them honking the horn they're basically just harassing them at this point and so they go into the room and they find out they find like the rifle that his dad has in the closet with like all the bullets and stuff and I like how in this scene, Liv Tyler's like, what are we going to do? And he's like, I don't even know how to load this thing. And she's like, but didn't you tell me you used to go hunting with your dad? And James is like, yeah, that must have been something I just said. 
<laughs> and then Liv Tyler is ultimately the one that ends up being able to load the gun anyway because he can't even fucking load the thing. Um, not shotguns, it's not rocket science. Yeah. Uh, so they go, they end up going into that bedroom. Mm-hmm. and they find like all this writing on the window like it looks like just lipstick it's just like all these hellos and it's just like creepy and um so they go back out and they're about to because he's like i want you to make a run for it and i'm just gonna you know follow behind you and then all of a sudden just the axe starts coming through the door because the man in the mask starts breaking down the door mm-hmm. and i like how reminiscent to the shining this scene is <laughs> <laughs> here's johnny <laughs> yeah um and so they like push the piano up against the door and then finally Liv Tyler gets it loaded and he, he makes a shot and you hear the, you hear the man in the mask run off. See, and this is a, this is a situation where it's like, this is a, what would I do in this situation? And I would like to think in this situation, I would have chased after the fucker. I would have been like, you have an ax. I have a gun. I fucking win, bitch. I would have chased that fucker out and I would have shot him right there in the front yard. And it would have been the end of that. The fact that he just doesn't do anything. He lets him run off. And then on top of that, the man in the masks has got some fucking enormous balls considering he just got fired out with a shotgun, but he walks right back in the house. Like it was not a big deal. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm going to play the man in the mask here in this scenario. So mm-hmm. you just took a shot at me. I'm going to run. And now you want to run after me. What is to stop me with my act? Yeah, I got an ax. You got a gun. You typically got the upper hand. But what's to stop me from standing around that corner and then here you come and all I just swing that axe right into your head before you yeah. even have a chance to think about it. Yeah, and I mean, I guess they are outnumbered too because there's three of them. So any any of them could be like outside waiting for an ambush type of thing. So mm-hmm. I guess in that ser- scenario, it probably wouldn't work out the way that I picture it in my mind. But <laughs> even then, it's no, just I like- I like your idea though. I, it's, it's, <laughs> it's that- fight it's not it's a it's that typical fight or flight scenario Mm -hmm. what are you going to do and you you want to fight you you do you want to defend yourself you want to defend your home yeah i like your idea fight or flight um you'd rather fight uh than fly just you always got to remember you even if you think you have the upper hand these people are almost prepared for everything they Mm -hmm. are five steps ahead of you yeah yep I think they realize that too. I really think we don't want to give James enough credit here, but (laughs) uh, let's get into the mindset of James here. He just, he just realized Kristen's obviously telling the truth. Mm -hmm. He discovered his car being vandalized, which I always question. How did they not ever hear anything happening? I was going to bring that up, but I was like, I sound way too nitpicky at this point. Maybe I should stop. (laughs) I I I thought about that. I was like, how do you not hear things happening outside? I mean, you can't quietly do certain things. But, yeah. Um, you know, so he, he's obvious. I'm hoping at this point, this could just be me wishful thinking here. He's coming to the conclusion that these people are five steps ahead of them. At yeah. this point, everything, everything that he and Kristen do, there's already a contingency plan for them at this point. I mean, obviously they vandalized his car. They wanted to make it to where he couldn't drive. Well, they anticipated that he was going to try to drive it. So what did they do? They have pinup girl in another car mm-hmm. waiting. Yep. And they ram into the back of his car, preventing him from going anywhere. They've got masked man in front, making sure they don't make a run in that direction. So they drive them back into the, the house. house. Yeah. So now you've got masked man coming at them with an ax. Sure. Mike or Mike, uh, Mike's not even there yet. James has the gun. 
mm-hmm. takes a shot at him. So that was a risky venture right there. So the, you know yeah. your bad guys are willing to take those risks. They're yeah. willing to take the idea that, hey, he might actually be good with a shotgun here. Um, <laughs> or maybe they anticipate the fact that he's never hunted in a day in his life. Maybe they heard that conversation and they're like, well, he doesn't obviously know how to use a gun. So maybe. And, you know, that's one of those few surprises that came at them. But they can easily regroup. And like you said, uh, what's to prevent the other two from not already being uh, there to do something and, you know, James isn't just going to go running after the guy, either leaving Kristen unattended. So, I mean, that that becomes pointless. He, you could go chasing after a uh, guy in the mask. Certainly. Absolutely. I gave you that. You've just, you've just left an uh, innocent, unarmed woman behind for two other people. Well, I just gave you that look just now. And you said that because he does do that later on in the film. And that's another mm-hmm. thing that I am going to bring up later yeah. because... That is when my hate for James goes full force because I'm just like, but anyway, we won't get into that yet. <laughs> but when you were saying that, I kind of gave you that look like, but he does do that eventually. He, do, he does do that. But I mean, at this point, he does. Right. Do yeah. But I guess, I guess, so a different scenario then. Say you shoot the gun, he runs off. You know, I think what they do is smart. They go into another room and they, you know, wait it out. But my thing is, why not just stay in the living room? where you've got like all vantage points. You've got the door, you've got the front door. As soon as he walks back in, sh- fucking sh- fire at it. I don't know. I don't too know. many variables, too many variables, too many opportunities. Uh, yeah. You think you might have a better vantage point, but guess what? So do they. Yeah. So it's not the ideal situation to put yourself in to corner yourself into a room, but now you've only got two possible entry slash exit points. You've got mm-hmm. the window behind you and you've got, the door in front of you. There are no other possible ways that anything is going to come into this room or exit this room without Mm -hmm. you knowing. So it kind of gives them an advantage. It's an unfortunate advantage. Again, not the ideal situation as they're about to find out. (laughs) Yeah. Well, correct me if I'm wrong. Is the room that they hide in, does it even have a window or is it just a door? Because I don't remember seeing a window. As soon as... As soon as I said it, I started questioning it. I do not believe it had a window. I think it's just strictly a door. Okay, fact, yeah. they corner themselves into a closet? No, I think they're like hiding behind like a chair or a couch in there or something. They're like in the corner. You're right. You're right. Like in the very back wall of the room. So they right. got like all that. All that Maybe there like, is a window. We just didn't see it. Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is the scene where uh, his friend Mike comes and this is the kind of this is like one of the scenes that i kind of have a problem with just because it's like you know um you get there you know put yourself in mike's shoes you know mike's there he's he's leaving a message for james on the phone he's like oh i got here a little bit early because you know how i like to wait on you hand and fucking foot and then you know something someone throw i think it's a rock or something someone throws something at his windshield he gets out and instead of immediately being like okay, I'm going to call the cops. Instead, he continues to walk into this, like, he sees Kristen and James' car destroyed. He sees, like, he probably, I don't know if he sees the front door from where he's at, but even so, like, once he gets in the house, he sees, like, all this shit going on, and he doesn't, like, he just keeps walking through the house like it's nothing. That's that's the one thing I think about this scene that really bugs me, is just, like, are you really that stupid? Like, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be walking through a house that I just see an axe you know a 
door basically broken down a car crashed in the front yard like i'm obviously going to start thinking the worst possible scenario but he's just you know walking around the house and the fact that he doesn't call out to anybody always drives me crazy too because he never says anything like he never says like james Kristen, or anything like he just walks i don't know i do like the scene for the tension that it sets up though because when he's walking through the house you get that shot of like the man in the mask behind him holding the axe Mm-hmm. and he's like you know kind of walking behind him and it's like an intense scene because you're not really sure because i was kind of surprised when he gets shot because oh, I, was, yeah, I was like completely blew my mind yeah because <laughs> i was thinking because i was thinking oh shit he's gonna get it from the axe like the guy in the you know the man in the mask is gonna kill him but then he like goes to walk around he goes to walk into that doorway and james just shoots him and then you're <laughs> like fuck <laughs> and then you you know you you feel bad for James because he did the thing that you would do. I mean, you didn't know anybody else was inside the house. You know, you're there. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Kristen's right there next to you. So anybody else in this house is a fucking enemy. And yep. so as soon as you see that body, you're just going to shoot. You're not going to ask questions. And yeah. that's the unfortunate part. So, yes, you're right. This is one of the probably one of the weakest points of the whole entire storyline mm-hmm. is Nobody in their right mind, given the scenario that they saw outside, or even given the scenario, like, as you're approaching the house and able to see in and the destruction and everything else like that, you're not going to set foot inside that house. Yeah, yeah. You're going you're going to hightail it back to your car, you're going to get in that car, and you're going to call 911 and hopefully start driving down the road. Mm-hmm. I know that's kind of like, you know, the cheat thing. You know, he he's concerned. He His yeah. friend, his friend's are in there because despite whatever's happening between Chris, Kristen and James, he he's there. Yeah. You know, yeah. And he knows them both and he's going, something happened to them and he's concerned. So in his stupidity, in his uh, irrational thinking, he does what he does and he ends up paying the ultimate price for it. Yep. Yep. And then you get this scene with him and Kristen, which, um, you know, cause he goes out there and he realizes it's Mike and then Kristen tries to look and he won't let her. And then you got to get like this emotional scene with them. Um, and then he goes out and he um, he opens the window. Like he's talking about like, there's a radio in the barn. I'm going to go try to call for help. I don't know what else to do. And in my mind, I'd be like, just stay in that room. Just stay in that room. What are you doing? Stay in that room. And I get like the death of his friend has like angered him to the point where now he's no longer in flight mode he's what i wanted to do at the beginning and he wants to kill these fuckers which granted yeah i would too but you still have to think about the fact that there's three people against two of you and they're clearly they've clearly had the upper hand this entire time so maybe try not to test fate any more than you already have i don't know (laughs) but if it were me in that situation i would have just stayed in that room the rest of the night until morning but i don't know like i said i feel like i'm being way too nitpicky about this film i really do like this film i don't want anybody listening and i don't want you chuck to think that i hate this film it's just it's all good there's so many like glaring things that just bug me when i watch this movie sometimes and that's why it's probably not my favorite home invasion film there's ones that i feel like i've done it better um but yeah, so this is like the scene where he goes out to try to, you know, go find the radio in the barn. And like, this is the part where I'm just like, are you fucking kidding me? You're going to leave Kristen in the house by herself? Because he's like, he doesn't even leave her with anything. 
He doesn't, he doesn't leave her with a single thing. He just is like, he doesn't even give her the gun. Like, he's like, I'm going to go out and try to find, you know, get this radio. He doesn't leave her anything to defend herself with. She leaves her in this house where the front door is broken down. They can get in, you know, we already know at this point that they can get in whenever they want to. The sliding glass door is constantly being opened and closed, you know? So it's just like, this is when my disdain for James really starts to hit an all time high. Cause I'm like, bitch, you, you dodged a bullet by not saying yes to this guy. <laughs> like just some of the shit that he does. I'm just like, what are you thinking in your mind? I don't know. I want to know your opinion on that whole thing though. Does it drive you nuts as much as it drives me nuts? Cause no, because I mean, as much as we can sit here and say, this is what I would do in this situation, this is how I think, this is how I would act, we honestly wouldn't know what we would do given that situation. All he knows is that there's a ham radio out there in the barn. Yeah, he could have left her the shotgun, certainly. Or she could have gone with him. Or they could have gone together. Uh, you know, it's kind of the one of those things, you're, you're stronger together than you are apart. But no nobody uh, nobody's thinking rationally at this point in the story and why would you who's going to sit down and think oh well let's let's think about this rationally for a moment time out time out bad guys i want to try yeah. to figure this out real quick it, it it doesn't work that way so yeah quite honestly yeah it sucks he left her uh and you know she started to feel uncomfortable and they're sensing the presence of the man in the mask and things like mm-hmm. that so she she follows him out there uh, and uh, attempts to go out there with him uh, much to her detriment as well. Yeah. And I just, I can't really fault the guy for doing what he did because I honestly don't know what I would do. I would do in that situation. Well, I personally um, feel, I personally feel, and I, I like, like I said, I don't have a wife or kids but like, I feel like in your situation, I don't see you leaving your wife and kids in this house by yourself. I feel like no. you bring them with you. That's what I'm asking. Like, I'm like asking, does that drive you nuts that he leaves her in there? Because it's like, I feel like you would never do that. I feel like you would never like leave your wife in this house by herself without anything to defend herself with. I feel like you'd be like, we're going together because safety in numbers is better. You know? I, no, you're right. I wouldn't. Um, but then again, he might have done it inadvertently. If we really want yeah. to start breaking this down on a psychological level, you know, it goes back to the whole thing. He's not a real big fan of her right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're in this life-threatened situation and stuff like that. But in the end, he's not a real big fan of her right now. Mm-hmm. He's really got no reason to remain tied to her in any way, shape, or form. I'm not saying that's what he did. But, you know, there could have been a deep-down thought or feeling like, hey, you know what? This is what you need to do to try to make the situation better. Just go fucking do it. It doesn't matter who you leave behind. Yeah. And unfortunately, that again has its a uh, downside. Yeah. And because yeah, because he's out there because he's looking for the he's making his way to the barn and he sees like the pinup girl coming in and out of the barn, mm-hmm. and so uh, you know he aims his gun at her. She flashes a light at him, and then you hear like the man in the mask run up behind him. And then you hear like a gunshot because you don't see what happens. But Kristen hears it from inside the house. And she so she goes out there and then she sorry, I feel like I'm being so nitpicky, but she goes out there and she literally sits on the porch and puts her head in her lap. Really? Like you're going to go sit out there knowing that there's three people that are just like 
and you're not even going to like be vigilant. Like you're just going to sit there on the porch and just put your head in your lap and just sit there and not expect somebody to come up and like sneak attack you. I don't know. Like if it were me, I don't know. Sorry. I feel like no, I'm, okay. I feel like I'm being a broken record at this point about everything that I feel like I would do different in this situation. But it's like, I certainly would not do that. I certainly would not go outside and sit on the porch and not be watching my surroundings. Like she's doing, I don't know. <sighs> I, I can't explain the inner workings of <laughs> Liv Tyler's mind <laughs> yeah I don't know it, I don't know but yeah so then she you know she like you were saying earlier she senses the presence of the man in the mask because you can hear him breathing like she can hear him breathing and so she makes a run for it to the barn and she ends up like tripping and falling into it looks like a ditch like she, it looks mm-hmm. like she falls right into a ditch and I think she like breaks her ankle or like fractures it or something because she can't really walk on it and you get that really cool shot. There's like a really cool sequence where she's crawling on the ground and you like, it's like a wraparound shot. And then you see pinup girl like walking behind her. Mm-hmm. And then when she get when she turns around, pinup girl's gone. And so this is actually one of my favorite scenes in the movie for some reason. Like it's not even like a huge scene, but it's like the whole scene where she's in the barn. I don't know why I like the scene so much because it's almost like she's the prey and they're like animals hunting a prey kind of thing. And like, she's in this group and they're, they know she's in there obviously. And they're, they're making all these noises from outside. Like they're clanging stuff They're And like the scene where she gets to the radio and she's trying to contact somebody. And then I'm pretty sure it's pinup girl that says something. Cause I'm pretty sure she's the one that's like, hello. Cause you hear her. Mm-hmm. And so Liv Tyler's hiding. And then you hear like them just banging shit around all over the place. And I, I don't know. I kind of like, like I see that scene as like almost as an animal hunting its prey and like scaring it and trying to, you know, I don't know. I like this scene a lot for some reason, like the sound design, I think is what I find really cool about this scene. Like the sound design, the atmosphere of the scene. Um, I also didn't touch upon this, but I really love the f- score in this movie too. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think the score is fantastic. Um, I think Tom, right Tom and Andy and things like that. Yeah, I think Tom and Andy did it, correct? Because I think they did uh, the Hills Have Eyes score as well. Um, also, P2, they scored P2. And I don't know if they've scored like all the other films that Brian Pertino have done, but has done. But um, yeah, I think they're really good. I like this. I love the score in this film. Um, yeah, Tom and Andy did do it. Yeah. And so like, I just, I, I don't know. I like this barn scene a lot because of just the atmosphere, the sound design. Yeah. Um, mm. And then she finally gets somebody on the radio, like somebody answers. And so she goes to tell them like what's going on. And then pinup girl takes the ax to the radio. And so that was their last saving grace basically. So they're basically effed at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I really like this whole final. Um, I feel like I've griped about this movie enough. We're past the parts where I'm going to gripe now. Um, (laughs) I think it's just that one, like little, that middle piece from the time that the, the man in the masks mask acts, axes the door down to the time that their friend gets killed and James leaves Kristen in the house, that whole middle part. I hate that part. Like that whole scene. I'm just like, ugh, I don't know. It doesn't flow well to the rest of the film either. I don't know. I don't know. That, That might just be me, but, um, but I like this whole scene where she's crawling she's, cause she's crawling back to the house and she sees like the man in the mask standing in the forest and he goes to walk off. So she keeps crawling and then you see the pinup girl come out from the garage, but then you also see the doll, the doll face. She's sitting on the swing, like swinging. 
Mm-hmm. And I, I love how the creepy the visuals of them look. But yeah, I like I just like. Well, I don't like it, but, you know, it like they they're basically just messing with them. Like they've been messing with them this whole time. They're very calculated. They're very calm in the fact that they're like, oh, we don't need to kill them yet. We'll just keep torturing them a little longer. And I think that's like the one of the most terrifying aspects of this film is it's just not like these killers are just going in and just killing these people and just leaving. They're like taking their sweet time with everything that they're doing. They're they're basically psychologically fucking with these people the entire movie. And, you know, and then Liv Tyler's crawling across the ground and she sees that the car's burned in the garage. Like it's completely on fire. And uh, so then she gets back in the house and she's like walking around. She's trying to, you know, I don't know really what she's doing, like what direction she's going, but she's just walking through the house and all of a sudden they cut the power. Yeah, I mean, at this point, you know, she's just trying to... She's she's surveying her options and realizing there's not a whole lot. She's stuck in this house. She mm-hmm. cannot escape it. She's learned that. You know, the barn, uh, she tried to make it to the barn, twisted her ankle, radios destroyed, uh, cars being burnt. James, where the hell is James in all this? <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, when she gets back into that house, she's just like, well, what, what do I do now? Where do I go? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the man in the mask enters and so yeah. she goes to the first place she can think of and she goes to that pantry with the little slits in the door and stuff like that yeah and um when she thinks it's safe you know dollface appears and uh, starts uh like yeah. messing with her smashes through it and stuff like that um well i also love how there's like no music in that scene whatsoever like at once the once the power goes out like that whole scene is silent and you just hear like the sounds of the house like the creaking and the the crackle of the fire and the crickets outside and like the chimes on the back porch and it's it's like this scene didn't need music to be scary because the scene is so intense without music but it's just like all these other sounds you're hearing i don't know it really adds to it for some reason um but yeah, no, that's another really great jump scare. The one that you brought up with uh, Dollface popping up in front of the closet. That's uh, <laughs> it's a great jump scare. Um, but, bef- but before we move on to the end, I wanted to ask you, actually, I remembered this question that popped in my head. Did it ever like cross your mind like the first time you watched this movie that maybe James was in on it at some point? Because no, you know, that man in the mask is like wearing like a suit. So it looks like he's coming from the wedding or and then, you know, um, you know, he, James has got like this grudge for Kristen. So at any point, did you feel like he was in on this or anything? No, I never once got that feeling uh, that he was in on it or anything like that, especially, you know, after, you know, killing his friend, Mike. Yeah. You know, that, that was an apparent accident and stuff like that. The emotion he showed to that, that, that didn't feel faked or anything like, oh, I mean, feel fake because he's an actor, <laughs> but I yeah. mean, you know, it didn't feel overly fake or anything like that. I just, I it looked like those were just two people being mm-hmm. terrorized, and he honestly just didn't have any idea what was going on uh, throughout the entire process. I didn't think I never got a nefarious feeling from him. Okay, because I think at the beginning I kind of thought maybe he had something to do with it. I don't know why, but. I think just the fact that the man was wearing like a suit and tie kind of threw me off because it looks like he came from the writing reception as well. So I was like, again, just something to unnerve you. Why? Yeah. Suit and tie. 
Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. And maybe it was just like a subtle thing that the director kind of wanted to put in there to like throw us off to make us maybe think that, you know, that was the scenario. I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, I like, I love this whole scene because you get that interaction after uh, Kristen gets out of the closet and Dollface is just standing there and she's like play like she's looking at the ring or like the empty box, like the empty ring box. And she turns towards her and just the shots of her mask look so cool. Like I fucking love that mask. It's so, I actually have the pinup girl mask and the doll face mask. They were, yeah. they released them when the strangers pray at night came out. Cause you couldn't find them anywhere when the first film came out. Like I tried, I tried looking for those masks and they weren't anywhere online. And then when the second movie came out, they finally released them. Um, but yeah. And then she like has like the big, I love how she has like the big kitchen knife and she starts toying with it. And then Kristen reaches into the cupboard and grabs like the little paring knife. <laughs> <laughs> Something is better than nothing. Yeah. Um, and I think I'm pretty sure at this point, Kristen still thinks that, uh, James got the upper hand on the man in the mask or no, that James got the upper hand. Cause she's like, he's going to kill you. She basically tells her that he's going to kill her. And then that's when James comes back in. He like basically gets pushed into the sliding, uh, pushed through the sliding glass door. Well, not through it. Sounds like it. You know, he's getting pulled through it. Basically, pulled through it. Um, yeah, yeah. The man's got him by his shirt, just pulling him in, um, into the house and everything like that. Uh, so, and that causes you know Kristen to be like, "Oh shit!" and run. Yeah, well, because that's when Dollface says the whole you're gonna die. Like she's basically like, you're gonna die. And then that's when Kristen goes running. And then she goes to try to like she goes past the front door, and that's when you see pinup door, a uh, pinup doll, pinup girl, Jesus Christ, Chuck. <laughs> you see pin <laughs> holy fuck. I'm getting like my words mixed up today. Um, you see pinup girl standing by the front door, basically blocking her way of escape. And so she goes into that room um and she locks the door and she starts banging on the door and I don't know if I thought that I heard this fact or if I just feel like I heard it and I'm going with it, but correct me if I'm wrong. Did you ever hear something about Liv Tyler, like fracturing her wrist or something from banging on the window? No, I, I didn't hear it. Because anything. for some yeah, reason, it could have happened, but... I don't know if I heard it in like the movie commentary that I watched or something, but I swear to God, there was something said about Liv Tyler like hurting herself during that scene because like when she's banging on the door she's actually or banging on the window she's like literally banging on a window and I heard I don't know I swear it was commentary or behind the scenes that she actually hurt herself during that scene like she actually hurt her wrist or her hand or something um but I don't I didn't put that down as a fun fact because I didn't know if that was bible so I was like I swear to god I've heard that somewhere but I don't know I couldn't find it anywhere online so I was just like maybe it's just something I thought I heard <laughs> but uh yeah no yeah and then yeah because then you hear james like screaming outside in the living room and so she calls out to him and the lights go back on the house and she goes to walk out the doorway and then the man in the mask just grabs her and slams her against the wall and then this is when he's dragging her down the hallway and uh then it cuts to them it cuts to the next morning and basically james and Kristen are like tied to chairs in the living room and like all three of them are standing in front. You get that iconic shot of all three of them standing in front of them, mm -hmm. which I see a lot in like posters and, you know, photos behind the scene photos. You see that that's like the one distinct picture that I feel like everybody has seen. Yeah. Um, and like they're standing there and then Kristen asks her again, cause she asked her once in the kitchen after she broke in through the closet, she asks her, uh, why are you doing this to us? And Dollface doesn't answer her in that scene, but in this scene, she's like, because you were home. 
Yeah. And it's just like, I don't know why that line is so terrifying. It's just, it's just like, that's how simplistic it is. Like, they're just like, we, we don't have a reason to do it. We did it because we knew that you were home and that's that, like, that's what's so scary about it. Well, I was sitting around my house thinking, what could I do today? And the thought occurred to me, I could just go fuck up a couple's night. Yep, that's what I did. Sounds like fun to me. Yeah. Well, it, typical and I, Tuesday night here at my house. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like a, sounds like that's what your kids think in their mind. They're like, we're just going to fuck with our parents' night tonight. Every freaking night. What can I do to piss off dad tonight? Mm. <laughs> Well, and I always tell you, I'm like, I'm always like, Chuck, your kids are freaking adorable. And you're like, you do you want them? them? He's like, do you want, you're like, do you want them? Cause uh, they're driving me nuts today. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You, you can have them. <laughs> oh man. Um, but yeah, there's just something as simple as her saying that. That's just, mm-hmm. just terrifying. Um, Cause she did, they don't need her. And I personally feel like Dollface is the ringleader of the entire group. Like I, I feel like most people think that the man in the mask, since he's like taller and you know, stronger that he's the one that's like in charge of everything. Now, I think that Dollface is the one that's in charge of everything. I think Dollface is the one that like, you know, makes the orders and stuff like that. I don't know if that's what you get from that, but just from like subtle things that she does, it seems like she's the one that takes charge with everything. Yeah. Cause like she's, cause she's the first one to take her mask off too. So I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that makes sense. I've really never put much thought into it. I guess I just went the sexist route and always thought the guy was the charge <laughs> in charge. Yeah. Or, you know, the ringleader and stuff like that. But no, that makes sense. I well, I've that. gone as far as like thinking that they're like a family of people. Like there's a there's a mother and a father, and like one of them's the daughter and blah blahdy blah. And so I've like I've thought about a lot of their backstory without even like thinking what the backstory could actually be, but yeah, I've always I've always thought of Dollface as definitely the ringleader of the three of them because she just seems to be the one that takes makes the orders and everyone else just kind of follows her <laughs> follows suit. Um, but yeah, they're like sitting there and one by one they all just start taking off their masks. And this this is like when us as the audience members and also, you know, James and Kristen realize that this is not going to end well. Like they are going to kill us because now that we know what they look like there there's no way we're getting out of this and like that's like the heartbreaking scene about this scene that's the heartbreaking thing about the scene is that you see that in Kristen's face when she sees uh doll faces uh face she's like basically like oh shit we're we're done for you know and then like one by one they just start stabbing them to death and the way that they do it is just like slow and deliberate and it's like this scene is this scene is kind of hard to watch like i think there's worse scenes that have done something like this before, but the scene is equally as hard to watch just because of Liv Tyler's performance in the scene is fantastic. But like, it's just also just the slow and deliberate way that they like, especially Dollface when she stabs Liv, Liv Tyler, she's just very deliberate about it. She's very mm-hmm. slow. She takes her time and it's just mm-hmm. disturbing. Absolutely. I don't know. And then I don't know, are we are we talking about the unrated cut or are we just talking about the theatrical cut? Because there is a scene that follows directly after this where um, you see Liv Tyler, she's still alive. Like the you see like the aftermath of it. James is obviously dead, but Liv Tyler's still laying there. And then she like drags herself across along the floor because she hears a phone going off. So she drags herself along the floor and then it's Mike's phone. So she tries to answer it. But then that's when you realize that they're still in the house. They're still there. So I think in my in my opinion, I think they were testing her to see if she was she was really dead or not. 
And so they like, I think that the man in the mask deliberately put that phone there and called it to see if she would, you know, react. Yeah. I've only seen the, uh, that version a few times. And I, all I have to say is that I don't feel like it adds anything of value to the movie. I don't either. I like the way the original ended, um, with, uh, just the stabbing and stuff like that and then the three taken off in their truck and heading down mm-hmm. the road coming across two young boys are you a sinner <laughs> sometimes yeah she's like can i have one <laughs> and he, yeah and then um uh, then when she gets back in the car after she has that interaction with them she's like it'll be easier next time so it's like i wonder if this was their first time doing this yeah, if not their first, it was at least their first couple of times. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Because like, I like how I like just I just like how she says that. Like, that's the last thing you hear Dollface say is "It'll be easier next time," and then they just drive off. And then after that scene, this is like the scene that you get from the opening scene with the two boys, and, and you I actually just made full circle. Mm-hmm. And like you see like the full uh, carnage of what's happened. Like you see James on the floor dead. You see Mike on the floor dead. And like the boy, one of the boys walks up to Liv Tyler and see, I'm not a really big fan of how this movie ends. I think it just kind of ends with a jump scare. And I just feel like it would have been better to not really know the fate of the characters to not know if like Liv Tyler lived or died. I don't know. It just, I feel like it would have been better to leave it. It it was literally just to end on, like you said, a jump scare or anything. Mm -hmm. There's no value added to that in fact you know we can just bring up the same question as we did with mike why did the kids even walk into the house to begin with right yeah i I don't and then i would have left i i was a curious kid but if i would have seen that scene i'd been like ah no fuck that right well and i love how um their demeanor when they're in the house too they're just kind of like okay like the one kid's looking down at james's dead body and he's just kind of like they're they're probably i'm sure they're probably in shock but their reactions do not match that 911 call later on because like in the 911 call, they seem like they're hysterical. Yeah. But in this part, they just seem like they're calm, cool and collected. Like they just walked into a scene with like three dead bodies. And well, of course, just you know, we can assume that they were hysterical after live Tyler. Yeah. You know, live Tyler scared the crap out of them, you know? Yeah. Like, like I said, they're probably in shock and then that probably jump started their system and they're like, Oh fuck. Yeah. <laughs> but I've always found that kind of interesting. The fact that they just walk in and they're just kind of like seeing all this stuff and they're just not reacting to it at all in the way that I would have reacted to it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah. And then, yeah. So, and that's like another thing, like that's what I was saying about his other films. Um, the dark and the wicked kind of ends on a similar note with it just being like, not, he couldn't find another way to end the film. So he ended it on a jump scare. And that's just kind of how I feel like his, a lot of his films are like, he, he has a very strong beginning, you know, middle, and then, you know, the end starts off really strong and then just kind of fizzles out. And that's how I felt about like the dark and the wicked as well. I don't want to spoil too much about that movie. It was a very good movie, (laughs) but it was just, I kind of felt the same kind of progression with that film as well. It was, it started out very good, very strong. And then it just kind of like plateaued and then just kind of went downhill. So that's all I'll say about that. But that's how I feel like this movie was as well. I feel like it started out very strong and then, you know, kind of ends on a not as strong of a note as it started with, but it's still a good film. I still think this film's really good. So you're probably tired of hearing me bagging on this film, aren't you, Chuck? (laughs) 
no 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 you're fine you're fine again you know everybody's going to experience films differently and everybody's going to feel differently about films i mean i felt bad i was a guest on a podcast uh, earlier this week where uh i was shitting all over star wars uh episodes seven through nine mm-hmm. and apparently i was uh, i was giving one of the one of the hosts you know heart palpitations because he's a huge <laughs> star wars fan and yeah. i was like well you know i'm sorry dude i, I really am i'm glad you enjoyed those movies i re- and, you know and in some in some instances i enjoy certain aspects of those movies they were just not good movies mm-hmm. and i was like but you know that that's and again it's what i said earlier that's the beauty of film it's art everybody's going to see art differently everybody's yep. going to feel differently about it and stuff like that and we're all going to be touched differently by it so i just you you may not like everything about this movie you may not like all the same things i like about this movie but in the yeah. end we can both agree it's still a good movie but we're going to say it's good for different reasons yeah yeah like it's obviously like a film that you know is a staple in the horror community like you think home invasion film i feel like this is probably the top film that most people think about when they think of when they hear the term home invasion they're like oh the strangers Mm -hmm. i feel like this is like everybody's like top film that they think of when they think of that subgenre so i mean it, it has made an impact in it like i said there are so many impactful scenes in this film that i think set it apart from a lot of other you know um home invasion films but there are some things that i'm just like well they could have probably changed that a little bit but you know that's just little nitpicky stuff it doesn't really take away from the experience of the film i still like it so mm-hmm. um with that being said yeah those are my final thoughts on the strangers did you have anything else you wanted to say about it before we moved into the ratings part um nothing that i haven't already said i just kind of want to reiterate that you know there's something about this film that's always going to scare the ever-living crap out of me you know earlier when i said you know i wake up in the middle of the night and yeah you know go as i'm walking to the bathroom i'll look out the window and i'm looking for anything out of the ordinary this is one of those movies it's reason i do that yeah i just i i get concerned um you know it's it's creepy. It's horrifying on so many different levels for different yeah. reasons and for different people. And I just, I, I think it's a fantastic movie. And uh, if you've never seen it before, you need, why are you listening to us? Go know. watch the movie and then come back and listen to us. And if you have seen it before and maybe it's been a while, I always suggest a rewatch. Yeah. Um, it's just, it, 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 it's a fascinating film. It really is like just, you know, when we discussed this at the beginning, it's just the direction that they're, that the, 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 it's the direct <laughs> god it's the direction that the, that the director took this film that i think sets it apart from other films like he made it a yeah. film you know that would was, was more relatable to us as normal people you know he took a setting that was more familiar to us he took characters that were probably more familiar to us like mm-hmm. you know the whole premise itself is definitely unique in its own right um especially when you like i said before you get so many home invasions that have films that have come before and after this one um the fact that he made a film that was so impactful mm-hmm. is astonishing to me i love I, lo- I do love this film like I, I feel like everybody's just sat here listening for like the next two hours just bag on the everything i hate about this film but there is so much to love about this film and i'm with chuck i recommend you guys go see it if you haven't watched it 
Um, if you have watched it, I definitely recommend watching it again on more multiple rewatches. So it's, it's overall, it's a good film. So I enjoy it. Um, but on that note, do you want to get into your story rating and your quality rating, Chuck? Certainly. So on a scale of one to 10, uh, for story, I'm going to give this one a seven. I think mm-hmm. he did a fantastic job building off of one little experience, uh, maybe not little in his mind, but he did a fantastic job building an imaginative situation out of one experience from his childhood. And sure, he probably drew a lot of inspiration from things like the Manson murders and a couple other real life scenarios and yeah. stuff like that. But I thought it was just, it was a interesting story plot holes sure every horror movie has plot holes yeah um nobody's perfect uh but it it stands pretty solid i think the things that really could have pushed it over the edge a little bit are the things that we said you know nobody in the mike in his right mind would have never walked into that house the boys would have never walked into that house and there were just some kind of unbelievable elements Mm -hmm. that you're just like this kind of pushes the idea of re it pushes the boundaries of reality there yeah. for a little bit and you're just like even in distress or our quote-unquote not right minds i just don't think these things would happen um if we maybe could have come up with alternatives for those situations you know get mike in the house somehow because that once mike is in the house yeah I, that death scene is still f- not fantastic but i mean it's a powerful it's emotional and things like that it needed to happen because it really uh, kind of ramps up things to a whole new level and yeah. stuff like that there i mean it just turned them into killers um uh so there's got to be another way to get mike into the house and there's got to be another way that uh the bodies are discovered uh you know i talked about it at the beginning of the episode just like nobody would have ever known that something happened to our family unless you know, someone started realizing, hey, the boys aren't showing up to school or this or that. And somebody show, shows up. But I guarantee you that if they wouldn't uh, be walking in that house. <laughs> exactly. You know, yeah. if something seems strange, they would back off, call the authorities and then let things happen from there. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what should have happened in the, uh, both of these cases of Mike and the boys going through. Yeah. And as far as quality goes, this movie is just it's it's fantastic for such a low budget. It's very well done, very well shot. Nothing, nothing seems overly cheap or anything. It's just like, you know, it's, it's because it's simple mm-hmm. and because of it being so simple, they could do so much with it. It's yeah. a very high quality movie. I'm going to give this one a nine, quite honestly. It's um, good, yeah. The only thing that I feel could have pushed it over the edge a little bit more is there were, Again, you you brought up this point. I didn't, and I really began to think about it after you brought it up. Mm-hmm. That whole pushing the boundaries of reality again, like with the, um, with uh, you know, the doll face or pinup girl, or no, it was doll face, like touching the back of uh, James's neck as he's as he's in his truck or his car, yeah, uh, getting uh, you know, looking around and stuff like that. Um, just I feel like that's unver that's very unrealistic. Uh. I guess I could fall more into the story part, but as far as creating a quality experience, yeah. If you want it to feel realistic, you need to stay within those realistic boundaries. Um, yeah. But those are just so far and few in the entire movie. The rest of it is just it's quality. Yeah, and like I said, like I said, it doesn't it doesn't take away from it. I mean, it's mm-hmm. stuff that I I've noticed, and sometimes it's funny to imagine like you know 
doll face is there one minute and then as soon as james looks away she's like she like goes and scurries off into the woods she's like oh that'll be cool i'll just disappear <laughs> like yeah it's it's funny to imagine like what are they doing out of frame like when he's not looking like or are they just running off and just appear and, and i don't know it's it kind of makes it almost silly in a way if you think about it that way but i think yeah like i said like you said it doesn't take away from it it's just kind of like little nitpicky things that you notice here and there that you're like Ugh. but yeah. you, you but you move on from it but yeah so what would your quality rating be oh that's that was my quality rating nine nine that's right okay for some reason i was like did he say his quality rating? i blurred it all together really fast i'm sorry yeah no, so you're seven good. for the story nine for the quality perfect well we're right on the money with that because my story rating is also going to be a seven mm-hmm. um for all the reasons that we mentioned prior just the fact that you know he took a simple story such as a home invasion and he made it into something that hasn't really been seen before. And he created, he created really iconic characters with like the three, you know, masked intruders, like Dollface, Pinup, Man in the Mask. I think they're all iconic. I think they deserve more recognition that they've, than they've gotten. Um, you know, he, he just created a really terrifying premise on, on something that he experienced as a child. And like you said, he built on that, obviously, you know, through inspiration, through other things that have happened in real life. But that's what really to the core of this film makes it a terrifying film because it's something that can happen to any of us at any time. You know, yeah. it just, it just happens to be that James and Kristen were in the wrong place at the wrong time. And then this is what happened. And, you know, Absolutely. and it's, that happens to people all the time, you know, like, like I talked about at the start of the episode, like there's, you know, when you really think about it, there have, there could have been so many instances where, you know, even when we were kids or even as adults where we almost ran into like situations like this, but just happened to, you know, and that's the scary thing about fate. Like fate is a scary thing too, because it's like, you know, if this is what's meant to happen, it's going to happen. And that's like the scary thing about it as well, you know? Mm -hmm. So for the story, I'm going to give it a seven Uh, for the quality. I'm also going to give it a nine because I think that the film is shot very nicely. Uh, There's a lot of shots in this film that I really enjoy uh, the sound design, the score, uh, the acting specifically from Liv Tyler. She's phenomenal in this film. She's got a great scream. Her acting is absolutely fantastic. And the fact that she had no real life inspiration to draw off with this film. I mean, hopefully most of us don't, <laughs> I mean, but she talked about how like she never really watched uh, horror films growing up. Like they scared her and stuff like that. So the fact that she could get to that emotional level with nothing to really I don't know, I guess take her there is impressive to me. I think her acting in this film is perfect. Um, James, however, I've never really been a fan of the actor that plays James Scott Speedman. I'm not a really big fan of him, but then again, I haven't seen a whole lot of stuff he's in. Uh, I feel like his acting could have been a little better in some parts. Um, But yeah, other than that, I, I, I think it's almost a perfect movie quality wise. Like the shots are fantastic, everything. So yeah, nine out of 10. So yep yep um i know we'll see what we think about this imdb rating um so do you agree with the 6.2 imdb rating that this film has or do you think it should be higher lower or stay the same uh 6.2 you said it at the beginning that's decently high for a movie like this i mean that that shows that it's got a pretty decent fan base and stuff uh uh behind it i kind of went through real quick and kind of looked at how everybody was reviewing it and rating it and stuff like that. And um, 
but yeah, I took the moment to uh, kind of look through everything and uh, see what everybody has to say. Again, it's just it's all subjective, mm-hmm. and it's all hit us in different ways, shapes, and forms. So you know, this is going to be a ten star movie with some people. It's going to be a one star movie with some people. I think six point two is a very decent um, picture to paint. Yeah. Or the type of audiences that uh, experience this movie. So I'm I'm okay with the 6.2. I'm honestly not that surprised by it. Yeah, I think I'm okay with the 6.2 also. Um, I don't think I would go any higher or lower than this. Um, just based off of what you and I talked about, like the little nitpicky things that bother me, um, just some of the plot holes. I think a 6.2 with all of that considered is still pretty good. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'd like I keep it the same too. Yeah, I mean, oh. there's just there's no there's nothing that tells me that it should ever be any higher, and it's definitely not a movie. If it were scored lower, I would be concerned. If it were scored higher, I'd pro- I'd be questioning that. I'd feel like that it was purposely stacked. Yeah, um, for that reason, I just feel like six point two is a good representative of this type of film. Oh, for sure. Um, but yeah, so we were right on the money with everything today. We have the same ratings and all that. So there we go. Um, (laughs) Great great minds think alike. Think alike. Yep. Um, So last but not least, the last part of of this episode is the We Love Horror Trivia Round. Are you ready to test your stranger's knowledge, Chuck? I'm going to try. All right. And as I prefaced to you before we started recording, um, I actually did these questions myself. Um, I kind of just watched the movie and just kind of like added questions as I went. Like when I saw specific things, I was like, okay, that might be a good question to ask. Um, so, cause I tried to find some online, but the ones that I found online, I was just like, no, <laughs> no, I'm not doing that. Um, so question number one, Chuck, the opening scene of the strangers starts off with a narrator loosely explaining the events that will later take place in the film. What is the date that these events take place? Is it a March 17th, 2007, B, January 10th, 2005, C, February 11th, 2005, or D, April 13th, 2008? D? April 13th? Yeah. Nope, it's C, February 11th, Shit. 2005. <laughs> Shit, all right. That's all right, you're, you're good. I tried, to, I tried to do the 2008 one um, mm-hmm. just because like that was the year that it was released. So I was like- I was also trying to think about, you know, everything happening outside it didn't look that cold outside but whatever no it didn't um question number two at the start of the film Kristen and james are heading home from what event a a basketball game b a funeral and that's why Kristen and james are upset c a wedding reception or d a family reunion wedding reception correct sir all right, so question number three. When Dollface knocks on the door for the very first time in the film, James makes a comment about it being four in the morning. What is the exact time on the clock? Is it A, 4 a.m., B, 4.10, C, 4.05, or D, 3.55? Oh, hell. Uh, 4.05? <laughs> That's correct, yep. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, because you get that one shot at the clock when he's looking at it, and it, like, the the small hand is on the four and the big hand is on the five. Yeah. So nice job, Chuck. Thank you. All right. Question number four. What is the first thing we hear Dollface say when James answers the door? Is it a hello B is Tamar here? C hi or D see you later. Uh, B is Tamar here. Nope. She says hi first. Cause when he answers the door, she's like, hi. 
Oh, shit. yeah. I knew I was like, I was trying to find questions that weren't super hard, but they were kind of like that what might stump you a little bit. Uh, so I think, oh, I, like, I think I succeeded. <laughs> um, so you've got three out of you got three out of five, right? So far or two out of five. So that's not bad. Or two out of four. Sorry, we're on question number five now. Um, so question number five, why does James leave Kristen home alone? A, he wants to go on a drive. B, he forgot something at the reception. C, he leaves to get Kristen more cigarettes. Or D, both A and C are correct. Yeah. Um, D, I mean, he wants to get out of there, but then he had the excuse to go get the cigarettes. So. Yep, that's correct. Because, because yeah, because he even makes the comment because she's like, you don't have to. And he's like, oh, I want to go for a drive anyway. So I figured I just figured I'd put A and C because I was like, oh, that might be like a, you know, nice little. Um, so question number six, how many times do we see Kristen smoke in this film? Is it A, one time, B, three times, C, two times, or D, five times? Three times. Well, I have it down as two times, which is like what I thought was the correct answer, but if you think of it in the way that how many times you see her actually do it, cause you see her do it in the car on the way to the house, but then you see her smoking outside of the house. Mm-hmm. And then you see her smoking when she's in the living room by herself, when you see the man in the mask. But for some reason in my mind, I guess I thought that she was still smoking the same cigarette that she was smoking in the car. So I just assumed that it was twice just because, but I will give you that answer because that's how many times you actually do see her is three times. So I should have considered that as the answer. Um, but I guess in my mind, I was thinking like, oh, she probably is smoking the same cigarette outside the door. So it's probably only twice. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm going to give that one to you. So three times. Yeah, that's the correct answer. Um, so question number seven, when Kristen and James are checking the house for intruders, we find out what happened to Kristen's cell phone. What happened to her phone? Is it A, we see it smashed into pieces. B, we see it on top of the piano with the battery missing. Uh, C, we see it in the fire uh, uh, inside the fireplace. Or D, the man in the mask took it. The man in the mask took it. Well, he did take it, but um, we find out what happened to it after that. So, like when they're walking, yeah, she the... found she found it on the piano. No, that's James. No, that's James's phone. Because remember, we see Kristen's phone in the fire. Oh shit! You're right. So you right. did you picked B though? Yeah. Oh okay. Hey, you're do- you're still doing good. Don't fret. You're doing great. <laughs> and there's two bonus questions that I added too. So. Um, when James's Mike friend or when James's friend Mike comes over to the house, how does he meet his demise? A, he encounters Dollface outside and gets killed. B, he gets attacked with an axe by the man in the mask. C, he doesn't get killed because he decides to leave. Or D, he accidentally gets shot by James. He accidentally gets shot by James. Correct. I put C in there because I was like, that's what I would fucking do. I would leave. Yeah, right. <laughs> I would leave or at least call the cops. I don't know. Um, so question number nine, what is written on the window just before James tries to get to the barn? Uh, is it A, hello, B, you're going to die, C, killer, or D, none of the above? C, killer. Correct, sir. All right. So question number 10, when Kristen and James are subdued by the strangers and awaiting their grisly fate, Kristen asked Dollface, why are you doing this to us? Dollface responds with the famous line, because you were home. How many, how many times does doll, does Dollface speak in the film? Is it A, three times, B, six times, C, four times, or D, five times? And I do want to specify before you answer, I didn't count like the number of times she says something. I just counted like 
how many times she actually says stuff in a scene, if that makes sense. So like, I didn't count every time she said a word. So like, I just counted the number of scenes you see her say something in, if that clear, clears anything up for you. Four. It's actually six times because she, she talks the first time when they answer the door the first time, when she comes back, when Kristen's home alone, um, the third time is when she says, uh, you're going to die. Mm-hmm. Am I missing one? I feel like I'm missing one. The fourth time is when um, she says, because you were home. The fifth time is when she asks, can I have one? And they ask if she's a sinner. And then the sixth time is when she says, it'll get, it'll be easier next time. But you know what? I just contradicted myself because I said I only counted the scenes that she talks in. So technically you're correct. So I will give you that. It is it is five times. Okay. Because if we're only counting, like if we're not counting every single thing she says, that's still in the same scene when she says it'll be easier next time. So no, you were right five times. Okay. You are correct five times. <laughs> Sorry, that's my bad. Like I said, I wrote these questions and I was like, while I was writing them, I was like trying to count in my head how many times she actually like, you know, talked in those scenes. And for some reason I didn't associate her talking to the missionary boys and talking to them in the truck as the same thing. So I don't know why, but no, you're right. You're correct. And uh, so the bonus question number one was what was the original title of the strangers supposed to be? Was it a, because you were home B strangers at the door C is Tamara here or D the faces. Uh, Because you were home. Nope. It's D the faces. Yeah, that would be a cool title, though, because you were home. Yeah, I kind of like that. A stranger calls because you were home. You know? Yeah. Um, question number two. This is the last question. So true or false? Dollface is the only person in the film who speaks. False. Correct. Because the pinup. I'm pretty sure it's the pinup girl who also speaks when Kristen is hiding in the barn. I'm pretty sure that's pinup girl that says that. Yeah, she she definitely speaks throughout the it's uh, the man in the mask who doesn't say anything the entire film. Yeah. And another reason why that question was kind of confusing to me when I was writing it, like how many times does Dollface speak in the film? Because I can't actually tell if it's her that says uh, it'll be easier next time when she gets in the car or if it's pinup girl. Because it sounds a lot like Dollface. Yeah, Yeah, but it sounds a lot like Dollface. So I always just say it's Dollface that says it. (laughs) But um, yeah, that ends the trivia round, the We Love Horror trivia round. I think you did pretty damn good. You missed a few. I thought I was going to. Yeah, you missed a few, but you know what? You did a a damn good job, Chuck, so good job. Trivia is not my sport. You can ask the boys at Porcelain Peak. It's not. (laughs) Well, I guess when you put put anybody up against Porcelain Peak, nobody's going to be the master at trivia except for them. Yeah, right. So unless you put me up against them, who knows? Maybe I could beat them. (laughs) One day we'll find out. (laughs) One day, hopefully. But uh, yes, thank you so much for coming on this episode, Chuck. I had a blast with you. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, it was uh, such a fun movie to talk about and things like that. I can't wait to come back on here and uh, talk about uh, Hell House. Um, yes. And then, uh, of course, you're going to be on my show coming up here soon. Uh, we're going to be talking about a movie of your choice, Gone Girl. And uh, mm-hmm. we're ready to talk about that as well. Oh, I'm so excited. And then um, I think we also planned for another time for me to come on your show too and also talk about Titanic, which <laughs> I warned you ahead of time. I was like, just so you know, it might be a five-hour episode by the time we're done talking about that movie. It might have to be like a three-parter 
<laughs> it might be another Lord of the Rings roundtable discussion oh all over again. <laughs> oh, Lord of the Rings. Oh, let's let's not talk about that right now. <laughs> That's still too uh too fresh in your memory. My mind is still unreeling from all of that. It was a lot of fun, but my God, yeah, that so, wore me out. Oh my God, it would wear me out. Like I was like, I don't know how Chuck's doing that. Not only is he doing it with himself, but he's doing it with like five other people. I'm like. Oh, well, I mean, granted, that was just one episode, but, you know, like Steven and I did the first three all by ourselves. And my, we even joke now that we're going to go back and do an extended version one of these days. And it's just like, but still, it was a lot of thought, a lot of love went into those episodes. And so, yeah, yeah, uh, a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, something like Titanic definitely needs to get its uh, due diligence. Um, so excited to be able to talk about that one with you because it's going to be fun. Um, but yeah, thank you again for coming on, Chuck. Um, do you want to plug in your podcast for the listeners uh, where they can hear you, uh, where they can find you before we Absolutely. go? Absolutely. So, uh, you know, Chuck goes to the movies, uh, talk about pretty much any film that you want. I'll talk about it. Good, bad, ugly. Uh, you can, I don't know. I can be found on uh, all major podcast platforms and uh, follow social media accounts on Instagram and Twitter. Chuck number two movies is how you can find me at both of those um, places. Perfect. Yeah. And uh, yeah, please go check out Chuck. Uh, as I said before, at the beginning of the episode, I think you're fantastic. I think you're a stand-up dude. You're a great friend. Um, I'm happy that we know each other and I think your podcast is fantastic. I think you have such a talent for just, you have such a broad knowledge for with all of these films. Like, and it's not, like I said at the beginning, it's not just, you know, one genre of horror. Like you do so many genres and it's just impressive to hear you talk about these films. Cause you have such like, what's the word? Like you're just so well-spoken. You're just such a well-spoken person and you just really get your points across in a very clear way and i i really appreciate that about you and your podcast so thank you again for coming on um and uh you can find me at the we love horror podcast uh also streaming on all major platforms um on instagram at we love horror podcast um i do have a twitter i never use it though <laughs> i need i need to be better about that like i have people from my instagram following me on twitter now and i don't have any like horror content to for them to see so i need to get better about that but uh um yeah. Also leave Chuck and I a five-star rating and review on Apple podcasts. That would also really be appreciated. So we love those five stars. We do. We do. Um, but yeah, without, with that being said, we're going to head out of here. So we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Thank you.